All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the BMX in our blood. Just wanted to get into something that's been heavy on everyone's mind right off the bat, and that is Chris Doyle. Chris Doyle, as you all know, suffered a heart attack, an incident while he was on a trip, sponsored trip out in New Mexico. So I'm sure you all know at this time that it was uh, it's something caused by a condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and thankfully, a teammate on the trip, Calvin Kostovich, was there to administer CPR, and I believe we can safely say he saved his life. So um, thank God for that situation playing out the way it did. Uh, Chris is doing very well from what I understand, and uh, during the recording of the following interview, it, uh, I've got to tell you, the entire weekend was pretty tough in, in Chris's hometown while we were recording interviews with many of his friends and none of us knew what the situation was and um, come to find out Monday that it was pretty serious and thankfully he will be okay. Uh, with the help of an implanted cardiac defibrillator. But uh, in case you all don't know what that condition is, it's when a portion of the heart becomes thickened without any obvious cause, so it makes it less able to pump, which causes the, the event like that, a heart attack. Um, more importantly, something you may not know, is that one in 500 people have this condition. So I'm not sure what the uh, protocol is, how to have this checked out, but uh, one in 500 is... Uh, that, that involves quite a few people. So, anyway, thankfully, a lot of people stepped up. T-shirt sales uh, through Chris Bennett. Huge success. I would imagine most people listening, including myself, have purchased shirts that Chris Bennett put out. And also, Empire has a shirt and sticker combination that's available, and that's still available at through Empire BMX. And um, we kind of conned one of our friends into giving up a uh, part of his prized BMX collection using a little bit of a uh, little bit of guilt tactic. But I think he would have done it anyway. But uh, Dave Pawson gave up a Chris Doyle DK jersey from the 90s. And it is currently up for auction, which will end by the time you hear this. And right now it's at $575. So this is how the BMX community works. And it works awesome. Something that you all need to know about the change of venue for the annual fundraising jam that I put on. It was to be at the Trumbull Track in Trumbull, Connecticut. And we've outgrown that venue, so... I just met with the owner of Powder Ridge Ski Resort in Connecticut, out in Middlefield, Connecticut. It is currently a site that Dave King, dirt sculptor Dave, is working on. Uh, it's a mountain bike park with a skills park at the bottom of the at the bottom of the mountain. So and this is going to be an amazing event with everything from a built-in concrete snake run that some of the locals may be aware of as well as plenty of jumps and a jump line and a launch ramp into a huge airbag which is crazy there may even be some zip lines in place but uh, 
it's going to be pretty cool. So I'll be doing this along with Scotty Kramer, and I'm sure he'll have his own spin on things. We'll have some freestyle shows, and I'm sure he will have some sort of obstacle course for all ages. But uh, that event is, like I said, has been moved. Same date, July 29th. Still for Kevin Robinson, the family of Kevin Robinson. We're going to raise as much money as we possibly can to help his family out in this time of need. So keep that date set aside, July 29th at Powder Ridge Ski Resort in Middlefield, Connecticut. There are very few places to stay at the actual mountain, but there is a campground down the street. So there is uh, plenty of plenty to do. There is a beer event going on the day before on the 28th, which is basically made up of a bunch of local brewers that'll be going on during the day. So if you show up a day early, that'll be happening. But you can also use the facility at the same time if you decide to hit some of the elements that they have going on there. So that is about it. Uh, Enjoy this episode, which is with Scene Methman from Vans extremely interesting episode especially if you're into the industry side of things we start off of course talking a little bit about scenes background in bmx but we get heavily into vans and the history of vans as right up to today with their contest and their colorways shoes and their signature shoes and all kinds of great stuff so enjoy today's interview and also look forward to next week with Trey Jones. That's a pretty amazing interview that has some real ups and downs of the uh, trials and tribulations of being a pro rider and holding events for the good of all of us and the, uh, the challenges that go with that. But it's a real positive interview and a lot to take out of it in a positive way. So everyone have a great week. Super excited about everything coming up. We'll talk to you soon. As always, leave me a comment through GromDad2000 at any time on Instagram or send me an email at jpdoherty70 at gmail.com or find the podcast website at www.thebmxinourblood.com and you can support the show by donating or buying merchandise. So thanks again. Have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. That's the way it should be. You know, it should be in the moment. You know, it should be in the place that this stuff actually happens. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so welcome to the BMX in Our Blood. I'm here with Scene Methman. That's right. We'll say from Vans, but there's a lot more to you than than, uh, just Vans, so we'll get into that. Yeah. But uh, a Pittsburgh native. So why don't we uh, get into your history a little bit first before we get going on on gotcha. all the rest of it because yeah. there's there's a lot. <laughs> so we'll we'll start at your your teen years. What got you into BMX? Maybe um, I found BMX probably I found skateboarding before I found BMX actually at a pretty young age. Oh, cool. uh, I I skateboarded quite a bit uh, probably from when I was seven or eight years old up through probably you know like middle school like seventh grade while I started to ride BMX more wow yeah and I actually um, started racing BMX in 88 when I was 10 I would have been 10 years old then 
like so there was some crossover between skateboarding and kind of BMX in there as well right um, but I actually liked skateboarding more at first and then I kind of figured out I was slightly better at riding a bike than I was at skateboarding so I, and, and, and that was more fun you can go faster you can get places easier <laughs> that made the difference huh? yeah it was pedaling around the city and, and like just pedaling to places was yeah. easier and, and when you skated like I ended up you know, you take your skateboard under right. your arm, and you're pedaling to wherever you're going to skate anyway. So it's like I already had my bike there. Oh, I got yeah. you. Yeah, so that's kind of how I came into BMX. Um, yeah. Back then, there were no parks, right? No, it was usually uh, pedaling to empty parking lots that had a good curb uh, mm-hmm. or something to skate on, or, or little, like, like I don't know, like... Um, places like little um, plazas and things like that like park plazas and stuff but they weren't right. really built for skateboarding not, or BMX or anything not I'm like today's park plazas pl- yeah. yeah I'm talking like parking lot plazas <laughs> not, yeah yeah not a park plaza yeah. like we know today something you could ollie onto that's curb height and manual cross and off the other side or whatever yeah and yeah. dodge grocery carts and dodge grocery actually- carts yeah <laughs> Yeah, stack up other people's skateboards and try to ollie over them or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Wow. So this is definitely pre pre park era. Pre skate park era. I mean, there was some parks here. There was, yeah. I think, like a metal prefab park on like east east kind of Pittsburgh area. Uh, at that point in time, that was probably one of the first parks I'd ever been to, and that was early '90s, maybe '91, oh, '92. Okay. And I can't even remember the name of that place. I don't think it's there anymore. Have you been to the South Park? Uh, skate park yes. or the pitcher one that yeah. I was texting you yeah, about yeah not pitcher um, cause mm-hmm. I think that they finished building that it's called Carnegie three pitcher three years ago maybe two years ago three okay. years ago my timing might be off on that yeah uh, but I haven't been been to that one but South Park BMX track and uh, the skate park mm-hmm. um, is really close to my my wife's family like where they live over there okay. so when we come to town I'm, I usually if I can bring a bike I'm here long enough I'll, I'll cruise over there and ride that park Gotcha. Last time I was here, I rode the, the BMX track. I was here in the s- late summer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I rode it this morning. Yeah, I was actually too early I was in the pretty season. psyched I could still jump the second straight. It, t- <laughs> it took me a few tries, but I did it. That's, that's not an easy second straight either. Yeah. I didn't try to jump the pro, uh, pro jump because the lip was like crumbling apart. It was like after the race kind of season had ended like by a month or two. And I was oh, like, okay. there was rain ruts in it. And I was like, eh, this, yeah. this seems a little sketchy. Good, good choice. Yeah. Real good choice. Yeah. But yeah. isn't it amazing that that park is right there next to the BMX track? Like, going there back in the days of the mid-school era that you raced, yeah. and I raced there, well, yeah. I would go there for nationals, of course, because I'm not from around here, but it was, that was all field. That was like yeah, there was camper land. There. That's where everyone parked, you know, parked campers for the weekend. Yes. Yeah, there was nothing there at that point. And then, like, just across that little road that's there, whatever, there was, like, picnic areas over on that other side. Yeah. This, which I think is still there right, right. now. Yeah. 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 That, that's wild. So yeah. skating first, went from carrying the skateboard on the bike to realizing that the bike was... <laughs> bike was easier and I didn't have to carry the skateboard around anymore and you could still do the kind of the same thing right yeah yeah that's how I kind of came into it um, but I, I lived so I grew up on like the east side of Pittsburgh I wasn't near South Park really mm-hmm. um, I I was distance wise closer to South Park but timing wise driving I was actually about the same between another track called Northmoreland Park, okay. which is like way east of the city, about an hour-ish or so. Okay. Um, I don't even know if that track's even there anymore. 
But Doesn't sound familiar. No, it was an NBL track. They never had a national. They would do some state races out there, things like that, when I was younger. Right. Um, so I would like kind of like like share time between both of those places. Like I would literally race locals at both tracks, and they were staggered weeknights, Whoa. so you could go to both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it was actually kind of nice. And South Park always had way bigger attendance uh, there. Like even uh, you know when I was like 12, 13, 14, like the like that class um, 12 expert or 13 expert or whatever was probably like we had semis I remember like at locals at a local yeah, yeah. And this would have been like the same age range as like you know like Ground Chuck the Cummings brothers there was a ton of other guys there at that time uh-huh. um, but it was it was it, yeah it was crazy how many kids like were at that track there would be 40 50 motos probably at a local? Yeah, that sounds familiar to yeah. my era, you know, up my way. Yeah. You know, I was now racing. I have no idea what it is. I'm sure it's down to 10 it's, or 15, maybe. I still go, uh, oddly enough, the biggest classes are the intermediate classes in the, like, 8, 9 age group. Yeah. The rest, it really... Well, don't forget, now they have so many separate classes. Yeah. It's broken down past 17 years old. It's broken down into chunks of, I forget what it is, three or four years. There's ranges of ages so I think it's yeah I think it's about four years so it kind of sp- it waters it down and spreads it out yeah. whereas before it only got up to I think 20 and over yeah. expert I think is where it stopped at the time I stopped yeah yeah so now it's a lot harder to come up with a full gate yeah so it, it's well plus BMX is a bit weaker than it used to be but uh, yeah we racing we, yes oh yeah, yeah yeah thank you for being yeah. specific because yeah I often call BMX BMX racing. Racing, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I have it, to be specific I, about the disciplines. Yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to say. I, I think from a sales standpoint, I think it's probably in a better place than it ever has been in mm-hmm. terms of uh, participation, like I, I would say. Like, I think there's more kids actually riding BMX nowadays right. than probably ever has. Right. Um, but I think from a sales standpoint, not as many kids... Um, probably like purchasing new complete bikes. I think probably 80s was probably yeah. the most commercial era of it in terms of like sales and everybody right. selling uh, complete bikes. Yeah. Maybe behind, behind that may have been like the that late 90s kind of era with like the X Games popularity and things like that. Sure. Um, I worked at a bike shop during that kind of period of time mm-hmm. um, around here, right down the street actually, um, oh, okay. from where we're at the wheel mill. Um, and I was kind of like, um, kind of like their BMX guru, I guess. Like I kind of worked at their BMX like shop and shop and bought everything and ended up making phone calls to like people. And that's, I, I actually learned how like kind of the retail business end of bicycles worked at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got to know a lot of people uh, in the industry that I just from calling them on the phone, like to buy things. Um, like I, I remember uh, calling like S and M, maybe talking to like Chris Stevenson and guys like that on the uh-huh. phone when I would call there. Um, I can't remember who was at Standard at the time. It wasn't Malaterno, like on the phone, but sure. like guys that worked for him, uh, buying parts and buying frames and right. things like that. Right. Uh, I remember talking to Zach Phillips at Kink when oh, they okay. first started, like yeah. buying stuff from those guys. Um, I don't think I ever like talked directly to Ron when he was at UGP, like when he right. owned UGP. But I remember like calling to order like T-shirts, yeah, and, like yeah. headsets and things like that from those guys back then. This um, is when you were a teenager. Yeah, this or, is when I was uh, seven, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Oh, so you're going to school at that time? Yeah, I was in. I was in like high school and like also like kind of ordering and buying BMX parts for this. Wow. 
wow. first bike shop. Kind of sounds fun. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> bad, actually. It was like the perfect job. I've never actually had a, a job job in my life. Never, like, felt, never felt like one? Yeah. Like, I've had, right. like, other things where I worked, like, you right. know, like... Like a contractor's apprentice when I was before I was old enough to work and things yeah, like yeah. that, but right, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, when I was old enough to actually have a job, yeah. I just like worked in the bike industry loosely right. in some capacity right. since I was like sixteen. Were you out of racing by that time? I was still kind of racing. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I didn't really stop racing BMX until. I was probably like 18-ish at that point. Not like nothing serious. Right. Um, but yeah, like I would do here and there a couple of nationals or something, mm-hmm. you know, a couple like do the state series or whatever. Right. Um, but right around that same time is when I got into um, riding mountain bikes and road bikes too. Just through the shop because, sure. you know what I mean, everybody at the shop was older and they, oh, yeah. they all rode mountain bikes and road bikes and things right. like that. So by default, right. it's like I'm like the one person that rode yeah. bikes. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It was a good shop. Like, we had a lot of stuff. But I remember, like, I mean, we used to sell a ton of BMX bikes in that, like, mid to late 90s era. I mean, with the craze of, like, the extreme games coming on. And and, and then the gravity games after that and and that stuff. I mean, I can't tell you how many crappy Schwinn pneumatics that weighed 40 pounds that I used to sell, probably (laughs) thanks to Jay Miron um, selling bikes. So, uh, John Paul, you're welcome for that one. (laughs) I don't know how much, like, I probably paid part of your salary with how many of those bikes. He claims he never wanted that job. He didn't want it. He tried to get out of the job. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't even want the money. Didn't want the job. Yeah. I wish we sold actually more of BF's frames, but for some reason, everybody just bought freestyle bikes, like, coming into that door. Like, yeah. So we sold so many of those bikes. Right. Um, we sold a ton of Haros too, oh, thanks to you? like Mira and Nyquist and those guys. Yeah. Ny- uh, oddly enough, I think like Nyquist's bike at the time was called a Back Trail. We oh, sold really? a ton of those, and I think it was because it was like the opening price point on like the black colorway. I, I can't remember what year that was. Probably like '97 or '98, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but we, it was like 200 bucks or 280 bucks or something like that. It was pretty, it was like right in there where like, where like anybody could really afford that thing. Right, so we right. sold a ton of those. Um, I mean, we sold a ton of other things too, like good, like we stocked standard frames, S&Ms, stuff like right. that. But, you know I mean? Right. To build one of those up was, right. you know, thousand dollars. Like yeah. no, no average kids coming in to do that or their right. parents certainly aren't going to pay for that. But right. yeah, we sold a ton of like $300, three, like two to $400. That was the meat and, meat and potatoes of the business for sure. Really, yeah. which is amazing because the margins must be lower. So it seems like yeah. you would prefer to sell a mountain bike or a road bike, but oh yeah, it, like know. we sold it. Like it was just a big shop. So the, the right. shop I worked at at the time was called Gatto Cycle Shop, which was uh-huh. they owned four stores in and around like the Pittsburgh area. Okay. Um, it by no means was like a BMX specific store. Sure. Like they they specialized in like mountain bikes and road bikes and all, all right. that stuff. But right. uh, I kind of ran the the BMX little like shop and shop that they had in Wilkinsburg, which is right down the street from where we're at now. Okay. Um, and and they had a couple other locations with BMX stuff, but like I I, I think they kind of like the um, manager who ran like all four stores mm-hmm. would kind of take my like. You know, listen to me when it came to like right. what you'd order. Like he would do the the quantities in terms of like what they could financially afford to the stock buy that kind of stuff. He was sure. he would like wrangle the inventory a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I think it was he would he would listen to me when it was like, hey, what's cool? What should we be buying? What should we have have on the shelves? That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that business 
has scaled back to, I think, they don't even have bicycle stores anymore. Um, they uh, started as a motorcycle shop. They sell Harleys, Hondas, all kinds of stuff. Oh, wow. Again, I think the only shop that's left is their Terenum location, which is like east, east kind of Pittsburgh area. Yeah. Uh, pretty far east. Um, and they just sell motorcycles now. I think they've, uh-huh. they've jumped out of the bike game. Really? I don't, for whatever reason. The guy right. who, who owned it, George Gatto, I believe his name was. Yeah, yeah George. Um, he, he, like his father started the business, I think uh, back in the 60s. Right. They started selling bicycles in the 70s when George was like a teenager because he was into it. Right. Uh, they ran that business like that up through probably early 2000s. And right. I think the, you know, when, when IBDs, independent bike dealers, were feeling the pinch, I think they just, like, there were so many other shops that opened up in and around Pittsburgh that were newer, better, higher end, or, you know, specialized in certain things that I think mm-hmm. they just kind of, the business dwindled down. And right. I think it wasn't, at that point, their focus. They were selling so many more Harleys and everything right. else that I think they just scaled it back to kind of focus on motorcycles. Probably grew with their interest. Which yeah, I mean, you're older. You know, I mean, who's into riding bikes anymore when you're fifty something years old and you own a business? Yeah, you know I mean, like you just probably. <laughs> I, mean, I am too. I'm not yeah. fifty. I'll probably be close. Yeah. yeah, I'll be doing it I'm too. The, I'm that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we're we're probably in the minority. Who knows? I don't know. There seems to be some resurgence coming back for sure. With yeah, with people in their late thirties, forties. Yeah, I but it, it was nice working there because I think I I, I really. Uh, I, I kind of got to understand like the business end of things there. I, I, I got to know how to really work on bicycles. Like right. I, would, I, would, I would actually like do tune-ups and stuff when I was sure. there working on bikes. So I got to know not just BMX, but like mountain bikes, road bikes, everything. So like, you know, learn how to adjust the railers, build wheels, everything right. like that, which I still remember how to do all that stuff. Now. Yeah. Build wheels. I can still build a set of wheels. I, I think that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool because not many people can say that. Yeah. It's usually hired out quickly. Yeah. By most by most kids. Yeah. By most people in general. Yeah. So let's talk about the trail uh, part of okay. part of your life because I'm sure most people listening to this don't realize that you rode push. Yeah. And, I did. As well as other places, I'm sure. All kinds of other. I kind of floated between a lot of those like trails around there then because mm-hmm. I didn't live super close to push. I was kind right. of on the opposite side of town. Um, from where that was. So it was a little bit of a haul to get over there. You know what I mean? Like I had to hop in the car with somebody or yeah. to get over there. Um, so it was, it was kind of a mish to get over there. But I would probably get over there in my, uh, you know, 17, 18, 19 in that zone, probably at least once once every month or once every, you know, once every few weeks for right. sure. Um, I would try to get over there. It was easier when I had to go to the BMX track or whatever because it's right down the street. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So that was back. Yeah, and I, was, and I knew, like, all the guys that dug and rode, rode there from the BMX tracks because, mm-hmm. like, most of those guys I'd see there or raced against them or, or in some capacity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there, and, and did you go to other trails around here at the yeah, time? Yeah, so there was other trails that I had that were closer. I probably rode um, these other trails called Area 51. Oh, right. Um, they were around in that same time period. Like, mm-hmm. I would dig and ride over there, all the, uh-huh. like, more so than, than even at Push. Um, and, and that kind of, like, the, that, that kind of got more popular after Push got plowed, just right. because there was, like, where do you go, you know? Mm, um, right. So there was, like, a little bit more people over there digging and riding and things like that at that point in time. Right. But, like, guys like Todd Wachowiak, like right. those were his kind of local trails. He lived really close to there at the time. Okay. Uh, so we would ride there all the time. Okay. Um, and I think like ride, 
Ride came through there and, and shot a bunch of photos a few different times. I know it was on like a road trip they did. They okay. like they did a whole feature on it at one point. I think it was ninety. It's probably ninety seven, ninety eight. I bet. That was it. Was really cool when they were doing these different scene reports and ride. First, it started with Snap, I believe. And yeah, then, and then it was Ride. But and I, I, I think in the beginning, I, I could stand completely corrected on this, but uh, Keith Mulligan would, would get out there and do these scene reports, and it yeah. was just so cool. He would hit, you know, three or four different spots. Sometimes in one issue, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so like was, the one that I remember that they had a bunch of photos from Area Fifty One. Um, yeah, it was a, it was part of a whole road trip. It, I can't remember what else, what other cities were on there where they stopped, but it, it was part like a portion of that whole feature article or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. So Fifty One was in there though. Fifty One was in there. Section Twenty Two, where Doyle mentioned in in his podcast, yeah, that was in there. That would that kind of cropped up right at the very tail end of when I was kind of riding BMX and oh, before okay. I moved to California actually. I got you. So I only rode out there a few times probably. Well he must have just moved at that time. I He was here yeah not too too long before that because him and Mike Cottle were living uh, in Tawakoviak's house when they first moved here. So they had a full like I don't think that even came up in Coddles. What a combination! Yeah, or in Doyle's, but I think it at some com- point it couldn't come up in Coddles. No, because I think he was out cold by that. Point. <laughs> at one point, they all like lived together. Mike, and it was a you'll full, laugh at that, I'm sure. There was a full BMX house over uh, like uh, yeah. east of Pittsburgh in in Plum that they lived at. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, and that was. And then uh, Chris's other friends, like Bennett, and then we'd come down from Erie area, right? Yeah, I think, I can't remember if that had, I can't remember if that was before or after Doyle moved to Erie, or he might have been Erie first and then moved there, or if he was, Chris would be better to answer that than me. What? I I just have to re-listen to his podcast, that's all. Yeah. I forget what we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we talked like we will for because they all lived in Erie at one point, and that was uh, they had a full house up there too. Okay. Uh, And they had like their own trail scene and skate parks, and they would go over to Section Eight across the border in in Ohio to ride all the time too. Yeah. Because I remember road tripping up there too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There was a ton of those. That's yeah. That's amazing. I'm just trying to envision this house with with Doyle, Todd, and and Mike and Mike Cottle. That's 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 pretty good stuff. So, um, did you have rider influences back then? Uh, yeah, when I you mean, were riding trails. Yeah, like anybody. I think. Or racing even. Both. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, I mean, probably BF was probably the biggest influence in terms of a guy who could race and ride trails. I think everybody looked up to him, right? Oh, yeah. And he yeah. Did, he made it look easy. He made yes. it look effortless. Like it was like he didn't have to train to race, or at least it didn't appear that way. He probably did. Right. Um, but it, like riding trails, he'd yeah. show up, and it was like he just could jump everything. It, it wasn't it didn't seem hard for him, that's for sure. Right. Um, yeah, those kind of guys was were were definitely looked up to. But you know, um, even going back to like ground chuck, you know, things like right. that. Like guys, right. guys that with easy effortless style was was definitely kind of the pinnacle of what you looked up to. Right. I'm not. Uh, yeah, like um, like a couple other people have mentioned. Like if I have to. If I can't figure out what you did by just watching it, yeah, that's where I'm like, you know what? It's it's I don't need to watch it that much. I can appreciate it from a technical standpoint, right? Um, I'll never 
ride like that. Right. Uh, I have no aspirations of even trying to do that right. any, at any point in my life. Right, right. Yeah. I think I, if you can capture it in a photo and it looks good, right. That's what you, well, that was the pinnacle. That's what you're going for. Sure. Yeah. And you, did you. You were probably aware of the Long Island guys, oh, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah, so yeah. Those guys they're... coming down yeah. Uh, through, through, yeah. Uh, I remember going to Shoreham to race a long mm-hmm. time ago. Uh, yeah. Um, Keith Terra, for sure. Cross yeah. paths with him. I don't know if he remembers me so much. But sure. yeah, I've met him a few times. Yeah. Uh, talked to him a few times. You know what's funny is you did you did a podcast with Nuno. I did. A pretty similar age. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly remember him from back then, but it's funny right. because it's just some of his uh, information that he spoke to. I was like, uh-huh. well, I was probably there or around yeah. there. Um, yeah. And then, like, he moved to California at the same time I did. <laughs> and we didn't even cross paths till years later when I was, like, working for Vans. Uh, and, and we started yeah. to do some projects with Odyssey and things like that when I got to know him. Oh, really? Yeah. So That's... That, that's amazing. I'm, I'm sure that's happened so many times. For all I know, you and I have crossed paths over the years. You know, it's yeah, like we spoke about, like probably at some national, you were there at the same time I was. Oh, yeah. I was there. Uh, we, we clearly knew similar people, so I'm sure you were standing around. Could have been standing it, next to me. And, and after the race, it was usually trails after the national. After the Saturday race, it was head to the trails after the race. So yeah. We we were probably in the same place. We were yeah. probably at push at the same time. I. On yeah. occasion. I mean, if it was during a national, then yeah. I, I was there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. so wild. Being in <laughs> such a small world, you talking about the Nuno deal uh, reminded me, you know reminds me of that for sure. But so, if it's good with you, let's transition on when and why you left Pittsburgh to head to California, which you kind of alluded to at the bike shop deal. You started to meet. You yeah. Know, all these so I, from the I got into. Uh, Riding mountain bikes and road bikes and things like that through the through the shop mm-hmm. and hanging out with like guys that did that. In fact, the first mountain bike I, I uh, mountain bike ride I ever did was right down the street in a place called Frick Park. It's like a city park right down the road from where okay. we're at here. Yeah, uh, not too far. Um, mm-hmm. And and it was on a borrowed rigid Cannondale of the uh, the shop manager. Yeah. And I think I showed up in uh, jean shorts and a t-shirt and uh, in a skate lid, like a Protex skate helmet. In, in regular sneakers. And like I remember putting the seat down because I thought it was too high and yeah. then like standing up to have the pedal up the hills <laughs> and then like blasting down the hill. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, skidding everywhere, probably right. running over people hiking, which is terrible trail <laughs> etiquette. Um, and I remember, like, guys on, the, like, on that shop ride, just, like, it was like an evening ride after work or whatever, and just shaking their head. They're like, dude, you can't go skidding down the trail like that and almost running people over. And, and you know what I mean? When you're, like, 17, 18 years old, right. it's like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, right. we're having fun. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was I, fun. I used Hilarious. to jump off of curb cuts, curb cuts when I... I worked at a bike shop when I was a teenager as well, just after I got my license. And and we would go on, they would, well, they'd force me to go on these road rides. So, of course, I'd jump off of stuff on a road bike, not realizing that's not really a good idea for the bike. They're a little too fragile for that. But it's so funny because you can pick out a BMX around a road bike or a mountain bike so quickly. It's easy. But anyway, I, uh, I may have broken your train of thought. But So, no. you, so you went from Pittsburgh at, at what age then? Uh, I left Pittsburgh, you know, I think it was 02, and then that, I would have been 24 at that point in time. Oh, okay. So before I left, though, when I, I was, I, I got a little bit more into riding mountain bikes, 
uh, and road bikes after I, I had hurt my knee. I blew out my ACL twice. Oh, wow. And this the second time I did it. I was 19. 19, so it would have been 97. Seems to be a Pittsburgh thing to do. Yeah, and I uh, I just, I, I, and at that point, you know, racing BMX was just, I was kind of burned out on that. I wasn't going to yeah. do that anymore. I was just right. kind of riding trails and skate parks here and there. Sure. And uh, it was after kind of the trail scene, it started to kind of like crumble yeah. apart. Yeah, no right. pun intended. Uh, right, right. Trails. But it was, you know, it was after push got plowed. Everybody kind of went separate ways. People just weren't... It wasn't the same crew of people hanging mm-hmm. out together and digging together every day, right? Right. So that kind of fell apart. So I just kind of got more into riding mountain bikes through just rehabbing my knee the second time, riding sure. my road bike more, things like that. Right. Um, and then, uh, like, some of the guys at the shop were like, you, sh- you should try, like, racing some mountain bikes. There's, like, a slalom series over in Ohio. There was a really good slalom series in, um, in East Ohio that was oh. at a place called Mickey's Mountain. Uh, run by yeah. an old guy, uh, older guy. His name was Mickey. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, uh, Ray from Ray's Indoor Mountain sure. Bike Park yeah. used to go there and ride and race too. Really? Yeah. He used to build, and I think he's a. If, I may be wrong on this, but I'm yeah. pretty sure he was like a like a carpenter by trade, by work. That's what okay. he did. And yeah. he used to build like the bleachers over there. He would like uh, okay. he built like the starting gates, things like that. Really? Um, but it was it was predominantly a cross country series. And they had a little bit of like uh, it's Ohio, so it's pretty flat, right? They right. had a small downhill race right. on Saturday and a slalom race too, but it paid out um, really well. Yeah. Um, so the downhill race was like like a forty second track. It was like you didn't need a downhill bike, right? Like, right. like a trail bike at this point in time would be like nowadays would have been more than enough bike right. to do that. Uh, the slalom series paid out really well, though. Like their uh, pro open class was kind of like it was kind of like expert pro combined the way they did it. Sure, it was just whatever. It was like an open class that paid out. Yeah. But I mean, first was three, four hundred dollars. Really? Yeah. Back in the late nineties. It's not bad. No, not bad at all. And right. It's hour and forty five minutes, two hours from Pittsburgh. So like, right. I would take a Saturday trip, wake up super early, go out there Saturday morning, right. Get some practice in, right. You know, get end up on the podium, get paid a couple hundred bucks, and right. leave, be home by dinner. Right. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was crazy. So that progressed you into a different. Yeah, and what's funny is I, I met a bunch of guys out there that were like former BMXers too. Right. That like got into riding mountain bikes for kind of similar reasons. Just racing wasn't really the same yeah. anymore. So they were like, oh, just race some mountain bikes. There's a little bit more money into yeah. it. You know, it's like the, the same crew of people. That Which I, was happening all yeah. over anyway with right. lopes and all the Yeah, those guys had those crossed guys. over years before that at that point. Sure. But it was kind of that, it was a similar movement of. People, right. You know what I mean? Like the mindset was pretty similar. Yeah. 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 Ride a mountain bike, but ride it like you would a BMX bike. Right. So like, yeah. Right. Yeah. I got you. Um, so how'd that get you to California? So that was like slowly moved. Yeah, you I slowly into... started doing that, and then I yeah. started racing some like national, like Northern Nationals, uh-huh. like downhill and, and slalom with those things. Yeah. Um, and then that got me kind of traveling around again to California, to everywhere, Colorado, Canada, uh, all okay. over the place. Um, and then it got to a point where it was just hard to ride here year-round to do all that. So I was right. taking trips out in the spring to stay in California for three months at oh. a time before the race season just to ride in the nice weather. Or right. like in the summer, I'd be out there between races for a month or two at a time. Mm-hmm. So it got to the point where... Um, my girlfriend, now my wife, she was out of college, uh, 
and she had a job here. We lived here, but right. I wasn't around all that much. Right. But she got sick of the winter, just like I did. So we finally were just like, let's leave. Like, yeah. we'll just move. We'll move out there. On faith alone. Yeah, she didn't have a job. I had, uh, we had flown out, and I had talked to a couple uh, people in the bike industry. Um, ended up getting a job with one of my sponsors because, like, just to live and support myself in California sure. was more than I was making riding a bicycle, that's for sure. Right. So I was like, i got to figure out something where I can work and race still, that kind right. of thing. Right. Um, so I, I ended up getting a job with a company called 661, um, and they were, like, a protective gear brand. Oh, okay. Um, so they were founded uh, by name by a guy named Eddie Cole and Roger Govin. Those are the guys that started Answer Racing. No way. Yeah. They had sold Answer Racing in the, sure, in the late sure. 90s, and yeah. they had started this other brand. Right. Um, and, I, and I knew those guys. I knew Roger more so because they were right. one of my sponsors for mountain biking at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of they, they gave me a job, which is awesome. Yeah, and I kind of got to know the industry side of the of bicycles through through that actually. And I, I had you. my hands on a lot of stuff because it was like I worked there full time, but then it allowed me the flexibility to like ride every day, plus go right. to races and things like that. Um, right. So it was it was it was a, it was a nice gig actually. It was rad, but I I, I got to know all kinds of stuff there. Um, which is nice because I had my hand in sales, sponsorship, event right. marketing, uh, product creation, going to trade shows, setting up at like races and at trade right. shows. Um, I tried to absorb as much as I could when I was there. Actually, it was kind of good. Did, even even trying to understand like the financial side of running, you know, a business oh, yeah. on that on that type of stuff. Which a lot of people don't understand. Which is why I love doing these these industry type podcasts. Um, which we'll get into more with Vans after later on, but um, just the whole the whole financial part of it is is difficult I, to understand what goes into it. It's just there's yeah. so many expenses before you actually hit profit <laughs> before you get to the before you get to profit. But yeah. anyway, did did these guys uh, admit any past mistakes with the answer before with the with the pro forks and all that stuff? Uh, it's more of a joke, but because the answer had some really awesome stuff. I mean, their gear was great. Yeah, uh, the pro forks just always stand out as the funny one. Yeah, they had. They, I mean, there was definitely some pitfalls in there for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I think yeah. the one thing they probably did. Yeah, the, what was the like the really good mountain bike bar? The pro tapers that they bought the technology from that stuff. Oh right, right. So that was that was probably one of their smarter moves. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were at one point. You know, answer was huge. I mean, from a suspension standpoint in mountain biking, yeah. uh, I mean that was a giant company, and they they yeah. sold that at kind of the right time, like kind of the height of their right. success, I think. Yeah. And they they took that money and started a new brand. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think they saw some white space in the market where it was like no one's really addressing protective gear really well. Right. Then focused on that for uh, motocross and for mountain biking and BMX and they, that was kind of their focus from there nice. on. what's funny is there was guys uh, even from the BMX side uh, pretty early on involved in that like uh, Corey Nastasio was one of their sponsored athletes oh I didn't know that uh-huh. uh, Chase Hawk was like I don't he didn't I don't think he I want to say he was at least getting flow from those guys for a while for certain things right uh, pretty early on when he was younger because uh, mm-hmm. I remember seeing his name like pop up on some boxes getting sent out and things like that. Yeah. Um, 
I'm trying to think who else with was. the new company. Yes, the six, this six, is what this would, would have been six six one. Six six one. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, and that would have been early two thousands, mm-hmm. somewhere in that zone, right there. Yeah, yeah. How long did that go for? They, um, it's still around to this oh, okay. day. They sold that brand. They got that brand built up to a pretty good size. Um, and they sold it after I had even left there to go work at Vans. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I can't remember the exact year. So it was probably 07 or 08, maybe. Uh-huh. They had right. sold that off. Okay. And uh, and they had moved they moved that brand basically from Santa Clarita area of California right. down south to, I want to say it's based in San Diego now or somewhere down near that zone, I, right. I believe. I got you. Yeah. Is, okay, so they sold off six six one. Yeah. Were you with them until they sold it off? No, I was. I left. Bef- I left in 06 to go work for Vans. Actually. Oh, I thought for some reason uh, you have to correct me on this. I thought Protech fit in there somewhere. Protech was owned by Vans when I came to work for them. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, now you now you may as well explain this now. And that because, was that was the connection. Now I'm thoroughly of me. confused. Okay, so that was the connection. So. Uh, by by this point, I was kind of done racing mountain bikes. Like I mm-hmm. had just gotten kind of like burned out in it, and I had reached the pinnacle of what little talent I had. I think um, <laughs> you're underselling yourself. Yeah, I'm sure you were good. Just you know, something not that good. good. I was right. Like, yeah, right. I think I was. I was. I. I was better at educating myself on what it took to go fast than actually being able to execute going fast. I think. Yeah, that's what separates you and I from. Yeah, from the, the guys, guys that, that really... are still sleeping in right now that'll show up later. Yes, correct. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was very moderately talented at best. Right, uh, right. Yeah, I, it took a lot of work for what little return uh, that, that got shown there. Yeah, right, right. Um, but yeah, while okay, so while I was working at six six one and racing, I was also doing. Uh, I wrote a lot of articles for like magazines and did some photo shoots and stuff at the time too. Oh, okay, yeah. mountain bike related. Mountain bike related, yeah. So yeah. Um, the one I probably did the most work for was Decline Magazine when they were around. Oh, okay. Uh, they were based in in Santa Clarita, where I lived. Where okay. you know, like right there. Right. Uh, there was a lot of like uh, bike industry brands, mount, more mountain bike and motocross related, that right. were based in that same area at that time, and that's kind of why I ended up living there. Oh, okay. Um, but I did a lot of work for those guys. Uh, I was buddies with like people at Dirt Rag that was yeah. based in Pittsburgh, so I used to write like product reviews for those guys. They would like they would literally mail me stuff out in California. I'd ride it for you know two months and then write articles wow. and send it back to them. And Dirt Rag still exists, right? Dirt Rag's still around to this day. Yeah, I believe my car was by, talking Still about on it. by the original guy that started, Maurice. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, I did some stuff for Mountain Bike Magazine, some photo shoots for those guys, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, if you read Decline Magazine in, like, the height of its popularity, probably, there was probably a photo of me from some product test in there at some, like, in every you. magazine. Right. I, was, I have, like, a stack of them that I was in. It was like, you wouldn't know it's me. I'm, like, well, full gear on. Was that the beginning of the era of having photos for products but never naming who the writer is? Correct. <laughs> because that always drives me crazy to this day when I open up a magazine and, you know, the few magazines that are out and there'll be this humongous ad and it never says who it is. You know, it, well, they're starting to get a little better at it. But there's, yeah. a, there's the majority of them tend to, if, if, you, if you're lucky, you can find it in fine print. But yeah. What's funny is I would see like photos that we shot of like a product or something while we were testing it. Yeah. And that product, I don't know if somebody would digitally scan it in, but it would end up randomly in other 
print publications like in Europe for, mm -hmm. as an ad for that company. But I would never get a credit for it. The photographer who I know shot it never got a photo credit for it. Oh Nobody got gosh. paid for it. And it was like a, like a really bad yeah. like copy of the image too. Like kind of digitized. Like, uh, you know what I mean? No. It just it like yeah. pixelated, not very good. Uh, yeah. It right. would just be, it was mostly Taiwanese based right. companies that would do that kind of thing. Oh like God. you'd see, I'd be randomly in Europe and I'd see like a ad yeah. Like two years after we shot it, and I'm like, that's me. I was like, that's from the test we did. I'm like, why Why is that being used? We couldn't find a better picture. Yeah. Terrible. It was the best picture out there. I thought I, I had one that I kept that was really bad. It was like, I can't even remember the company. It might have been like a Taiwanese wheel brand or something, and, they, yeah. and the, the wheels were terrible, but they ended up, like, they stole the photo basically, or from one of the sh test shots, and used it in like an ad, like way later. Oh, man. Well, isn't that standard procedure anyway? Yeah. For, for parts of Asia. Yes. I won't blame all of Asia. No, no, Parts no. of Asia. No, I think some of, some of it's just the, the communication gap, yeah, too, and, yeah. and, and just the difference in, in cultures, too. Like, yeah, they're like, yeah, no, yeah. you can just use a photo. Like, it's like, right, yeah. right. No, you need to pay someone for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and how do we even reach that person since there is that barrier yeah. to ask them permission and, and all that? So, yeah. yeah, that's a good way to say it, too, because it's not always you know, an underhanded, you know, mischievous kind of thing. No, I think it's it's probably in most cases done with good intention of like, no, they, yeah. they shot a nice photo, we want to use it kind yeah. of thing. Okay. That's our way of complimenting you. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, right. it's fine. Yeah. I get it. It's business too where it's like if you can get away without paying someone for something, you're probably going to do it. Right, yeah, right. Like you said, the, oh, there's a lot of overhead and not a lot of profit. That's right. Yeah. So you left 661, you yeah, went to so work for Vans, but on the ProTech side? Because yeah, they own ProTech? Correct. So at the time, Vans owned ProTech. I, mm -hmm. They had gotten in touch with me because of my experience with protective gear. Mm, uh, right. And they needed somebody that understood the bike market at the time. Right. Because they were starting to kind of expand both in BMX and to try to get into like some mountain bike protective gear because that market's huge. Through right. pro, with the ProTech brand, not the van so much. And Skate was weak at the time? Were no, they... Skate was strong, but yeah. I think they, they had reached a point of like saturation where they uh, kind of owned that market. Right? Yeah, and, true. And they weren't getting much bigger. Like right. It was just refinement and kind of maintaining that business, right. but they needed somebody to kind of understand the bike market. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was kind of odd because I remember going down to talk to those guys about it, mm -hmm. and I didn't think it was much of even a job interview. Right. Um, and then I got a phone call like a week later. So they're like, "Are you interested in like that in the gig?" And I was like, "What? What gig?" In this, kind of. I thought I was just talking to you about the, the general oh bike gosh. industry. So, yeah, we <laughs> kind of went back and forth for, for a few weeks there yeah. on some things. And I finally we got to a place where I was like, "Okay, I, I understand what you're asking." Right. Yes, I would be. Is there you know some other things involved in this? Right. And we we kind of sorted it all out, and then I, I it sounded. Sounded interesting. Sounded yeah. good, and yeah. it was working for a, you know, a much bigger, more established brand too. Right. Um, so, yeah, I ended up taking that job and going to work for those guys, and, and kind of got 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 in there um, and worked on that for about a year, year and a half before I kind of uh, started working on some footwear uh, product as well. Were they separate offices at the time? No, same office. So, yeah, we were all housed in the same office. Okay. Um, and this would have been in um, when we were in, um, what do you call it? 
right up the road from where our other office was before. In noise? That. Uh, no, no, no. no, no. We, were, we were down uh, down south in uh, in in Orange in Orange County. Um, this, I'm not even sure where that city came from in my mind. I have no idea. Van Nuys is, is in the valley. Okay. Yeah, All right. it's up in the valley. Yeah, you got the right state. Yeah, you're, you're close. <laughs> it's in and around LA. You, you got you got the right. general vicinity <laughs> right. down uh, pretty good. Uh, this was in uh, Santa Fe Springs. Was okay was where the van's office was at the time both the office okay. and the and the warehouse like the the main warehouse yeah um and and we were i was there for not even a year before we moved to cyprus california which is like that's orange county basically mm-hmm. santa fe I think, I think santa fe is la county okay. and then we moved just south of there like a couple miles south right to cyprus much larger building and right. the whole office moved so the global headquarters moved Right, um, but the warehouse stayed in Santa Fe Springs, still there to this day. Actually. I got gotcha. um, okay. and they've taken over a couple other buildings around there, which is massive operation for their main, like, kind of um, uh, main warehouse for like the U.S. For, for distro for distro for, for vans, just for vans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So you transferred into um, yeah. I started working more on the footwear side uh, at that point, um, and. Uh, and then another guy came in to kind of fill my role on the ProTech side. And he ran like all of ProTech. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, uh, for for a good bit when I was working in footwear, um, I just saw an opportunity that was a little bit bigger to work on on the footwear side. So sure. I wanted to take that and kind of there was there was some more open space to do things there that was mm-hmm. interesting to me. So I ended up doing that. Was this? Uh, were you working on domestic footwear at that time? Everything. So this was a. It was a global position working on overseeing, oh, okay. uh, like a like a, one of the lines of footwear that we had, um, uh-huh. but global global distribution, global oh, okay. global, global role there at mm-hmm. the time. Um, that probably leads me to like probably what, what I do now, right? I mean, it's pretty similar. How long ago was that? That Just would have been put it in was, perspective. Oh eight, probably oh, so late 0708. So we're almost ten years into this at Vans for in the in the footwear end of things. Uh, for me. at this point, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the company. The company no. we know is yeah forever. Yeah. But um, I got you. Yeah. So that that uh, became well, it was global to begin with, but you've taken on more of a global. Yeah, so that, that yeah, yeah, the the protect the pro, even the protect gig was a global role from a product creation standpoint and uh, like product management standpoint. I um, see. And, and same with the gig, like uh, when I transitioned over the footwear side in Vans, was the same deal. Yeah. It was it was a global position. It's yeah. uh, working in merchandising. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anybody probably doesn't uh, understand what uh, work merchandising is, I guess the easiest thing to relate that to is probably on the hard goods side would be like product manager. Sure. Yeah. So like you're working on like product creation. Uh, the easiest way to probably say uh, what that role is is taking um, product from like a concept to the consumer level, like all the way from initial. Uh, initial concept all the way through down to when the consumer finally you know comes in contact with it I got you so you're working you have your hands in kind of everything like you're working with design and development to develop and design all those new products Uh, you're then working with like marketing the craft like the stories behind products Right. Uh, and then you're working with like the uh, like regional sales teams and mm-hmm. sales um, kind of meetings and things like that, and even going to like key accounts to sit down and like do some like kind of previews with products and show that stuff ahead of time before they pre-book at all. Wow! So you had a heck of a team that you were working with then between between design production. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then mer- merchandising kind of has like their hands in, like you know what I mean. Like you're not running every facet of every one of those, obviously, but you're right. you're you're educating them on the product, or you're involved in some capacity so that you can get feedback. You can get you know what I mean. Right. You're taking all that stuff into account when you're when you're right. working on it. So yeah. who's who is taking information from, say, team riders and and the general. Public, you know, for for the for the purpose of, of design. Yeah, so we'll we say. have uh, we actually have a uh, consumer insights team. Their sole job is basically taking information from consumers, doing consumer um, research, uh, setting up like uh, test groups and things like that with certain things. There, there's a lot of uh, insights that goes into that and kind of time and effort that goes mm-hmm. into gathering all that information information yeah. together, putting it, compiling it into something that's you know right. easily understandable and then sharing that out with like marketing teams, the product creation teams, design teams, that kind right. of thing. Um, and then people that deal directly with our athletes would be marketing is obviously the first point of contact there team right. managers like uh jerry batters if right. anybody knows jerry oh yeah it's, i wish he was here he'd yeah. probably be more more way more entertained at this point um <laughs> than talking to me about business maybe yeah it's a toss-up i, I think know? so actually <laughs> there's someone for everyone yeah i'll, I'll put it through that way. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. so like just as an example like within bmx so like jerry's jerry's uh, our global sports marketing manager right Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also like, kind of doubles as our team manager uh, I got for you. BMX. So he'd be the guy who's bringing in guys like Dakota Roche to like talk about some new products or shoes or anything right. like that. So uh, and then he'll sit down with uh, our merchandiser that deals with that business as right. well as like the designer, and they kind of like go through right. you know what he wants to do, what we can kind of accomplish, timelines, all that kind of thing, right. uh, to kind of bring that to market. I, I don't want to digress too much on this, but real quickly, since you moved into this role 10 years ago, have you noticed that uh, there's been more variety brought to the line? Okay, so uh, I think at that point was when the business was really starting to take off for Vans again. Mm-hmm. Um, that probably goes back to like the Vans history, which I can I can run you through all that as well. Absolutely, because yeah. I think a lot of people get a lot out of that because yeah. most of us associate it with the skate company. Yes. That did some light BMX. Yes. And there were a few signature shoes maybe, like yes. cabs and yeah. know, shoes like that. So that's all I know. And yeah. that is hopefully most of what anyone knows. So this is this could be really yeah. I think helpful. Okay, so when I started working on like the footwear side, um, I kind of resurrected some of our old SPD business at the time just to kind of test some of that stuff back out. Um, What's SPD business? Like the clip-ins and things like the that. The SPD? Yes. Through so Vans? Had, yeah, yeah. So we had some Vans clip-in shoes back in the 90s. I actually had a pair to race mountain bikes with. Where, where was I? I never saw yeah, this, that. This would have been when you were out, probably. Your time out in the sport. After 98, yeah. say. Yeah. Which it was is right when, around that time, Eric. Which is, yeah, right that's when guys were experimenting with it, yeah, yeah, yeah. whether it be lopes or, you know. Yeah, and they had it till, they had that program go until about the early 2000s, and then uh, they kind of scrapped it. It was a really small piece of business, right? Yeah, so yeah, when I started working there, that the need for it from like a uh, BMX mountain bike side was still being asked about. Like people still wanted them. So we uh-huh. still owned some of that tooling, so it was easy to create, right. uh, easy to bring back. Um, right. 
the unfortunate part is we, we are not set up, we weren't set up then, we're not set up now to really deal with the bicycle industry. It's a completely different business model than, sure. than apparel and footwear. Right. Uh, apparel and footwear is very much like a futures-driven pre-book business. Mm-hmm. Bicycle industry is very much like an at-once, you gotta warehouse everything, you gotta have right. it there for when people call, that kind of thing. We don't have, like, we didn't have a sales rep force, so we still don't okay. to deal with the bicycle industry. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever do that. It's just a very, it's very small. Like people don't go to bike shops to buy shoes, casual no. shoes, right? Right. They go to skate shops, they go to the mall, they go to everywhere else. They don't, they right. don't go to bike shops. So um, right. that that um, that that doesn't work for like our business model sure. at all. Um, um, and it's not because we don't want to do it. It's just mm-hmm. that we're a very big company, and like to structure ourselves like that yeah. would go against everything. How we're set up to deal with every other part of the business that we deal with right which is obviously a much greater percentage of what we do yeah 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 uh shops still have access obviously because i know lots of shops that have yeah we have our 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 core sales rep team Mm -hmm. uh in each country is is you know they have a handful of bike accounts and bmx shops that they you know cater to and they still go in and sell shoes to um but it's done in the same business models our skate stuff or like lifestyle products things like that where you got to pre-book in and you know six months later it shows up which because it's seasonal right I mean yeah everything's very seasonal yeah right yeah and it's it's changing every season right I gotcha yeah so when I was when I first got into working on the footwear side um kind of brought back some of that SPD business it was really small Mm -hmm. uh I think there was still demand for it but you know it was a little harder to get out in the market just with our business structure and we were doing what we could we sold it through Dan's comp JNR cycles down in Florida you know a handful of other like retailers like 5050 in Utah some all the guys that had like at least a race component to some of the retail sales things like that right uh we were selling it through those channels for sure Mm -hmm. um that kind of like got to a point where it wasn't the greatest shoe right. we knew we could change it but it was like at what cost do we do that and it's like let's let's revisit we'll stop doing this we'll revisit this later you know down the road when we can really do it the right way like put out a product that we're really proud of yeah um, and then also um, really get like kind of focus in on on where it needs to be distribution wise and like kind of the consumer side that we're targeting with it it, it seems to me and it's a complete layman's perspective but the way the technology of BMX racing has progressed, it would it wouldn't look like a Vian shoe yeah. any longer to to be I, part the, of the market it, now. Yeah, I think we could do it in a way we could do that, and, like and make it aesthetically mm-hmm. look like our shoes, but we're just not um, we're not quite there to really really kind of take that on. Right Is there now. any interest? It's really small. It's like extremely small and yeah. very specialized at this point. Right. Um, you know, the, the markets compared to you know mm-hmm. where we're at as a brand I mean it's it's tiny tiny you know right, um, right. and 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 it's and, and everybody realizes it's not addressed great you know like right. I think that most people that really want something good looking and stylish you know yeah. what I mean they're, you're obviously having to sacrifice that for function yeah the, the, right. based on the options that are in the marketplace sure currently. I think the things that I did when I when I got in there outside of that though more on like the business structure side were probably the things that I'm probably more more proud of than that thing. That was like a side project that yeah. I worked on, right? I understand. Um, the things that I, that I did um, that kind of helped uh, BMX quite a bit were uh, I kind of helped structure um, the first brand-to-brand BMX collaborations that we did when we were when I was there. 
Um, we structured the product process to give BMX like kind of a real home that aligns and supports our pro skate business. Mm -hmm. um, this allowed like us to do a little bit more signature BMX colorways, collaborations, and kind of just better structure like our product marketing yeah. um, specifically for BMX. Um, so it's all stuff you don't see that's on like the back end of business. That's kind of the world right. I live in at this point um, and did then too. So I, I yeah. there was a lot of internal work to get it to a place where it was like, hey, you know, BMX has been there since since the beginning, right? We've mm -hmm. supported that since the beginning. Let's, right. let's structure this in a way that helps support um, our business, our, our skate business, and kind of aligns with that because they're very similar. Consumer sets, sure. similar, right? right? Needs are similar. Durability, right. it's got to right. have some impact protection, things like that. So from like an actual like product creation standpoint, right. BMX and skateboarding are really close. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you talk to right. a skateboarder, pro skateboarder, pro BMXer, they're going to say very similar things. Sure. Yeah. So it's about the feel of the shoe. Correct. It's, yeah. Pedal feel. It's about like, you know I mean? Um, all of that stuff goes into it. Right. I think there's some specifics in BMX that are, you know, it's just slightly different, but mm -hmm. for the most part, 90% of the shoe's construction is going right. to be really close, really similar. I gotcha. Yeah. So it was more just how we structure the back end of like uh, product creation, marketing, mm -hmm. things like that that we do, uh, as well as distribution and stuff like that to really kind of align those two uh, up so that we could kind of do a little bit more storytelling in BMX and really kind of hone in on, on what we wanted to get out of it and support it better. Along with your own direct marketing. So now you're Correct. involving other companies. So. The, yeah. col the collab thing, actually, can you explain something for the listener as well yes. as myself on real, real quickly, the difference between a collab and a colorway? Yeah. So okay, so colorways we do with a lot of our athletes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have existing styles that they're interested in. Um, Dakota Roche is like the last couple of projects we did with him would be a great example of that. You know, he he really liked a certain shoe. Um, so he's like, so we let him come in and kind of color and materialize it the way he wants wants to do that, right? It's exactly like it sounds. Then. It's exactly You're just taking a shoe and changing the colors. Yeah, to your specific needs. And he right. he's taken a couple things and tweaked them a little bit by mm -hmm. adding like a little like uh, rubberized toe cap or something, or like, oh, okay. like yeah, or adding in um, something so his crank arms don't tear apart like the inside of a shoe, right. stuff like that. Right. That's easy stuff we can do all day long. Um, yeah. The collab piece was us more partnering with brands uh, like Shadow, like Cult, things like that to really put out like a specific project that has right. like uh, our stamp on it from both sides of the fence from both brands. I got you. Yeah. I got you. So collab and, and, brand recognition, dual brand recognition. Yeah, and I think we, those are, those are important because I think us being a big brand, they lend some credibility within BMX that, mm. you know what I mean, that I think we have, but obviously they're very core brands, right? Right. Um, and they have distribution at, at accounts we don't, things like right. that. So, you know, when we get into that, there's a lot of uh, looking at where we want that stuff sold. So, you know, look at their dealer network, look at our right. dealer network and kind of see where there's some crossover there and, mm -hmm. and how many accounts those are and how many people we're really going to like kind of target with those projects. Right. And some of that stuff is we limit it too. To kind of keep the demand high, so there's a lot of people that call later down the road. And it's like, hey, you know, I want the Colt shoes six months after they were out, and it's like, right, I, you kind of missed your window, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's that pent up demand when you re-released the Scotty shoes, Scotty yeah. Kramer shoe last last summer for yeah. during our fundraiser for him. It was, it, it, 
it was so anticipated or highly anticipated people were just really looking forward to it they couldn't wait yeah. to get their hands on it because it had been released previously right two or three years prior yeah we had done it two years prior to that i think was so it was when a, it was originally out yeah okay so it was yeah. a re-release i know we're off of collapse we're back to uh well, no that's that actually, was colorway that was colorway yeah yeah that was scotty's colorway that we did for him got it yeah he wanted a blacked out skate high with with his with his dog Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, we did. Right. Yeah, we did a digital print of his dog's like image on the insole. Oh gosh, it was awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do have a pair, so I have to. I have to look even closer at him. But, but that's that's pretty cool. So, those three collabs that that I'm aware of are maybe the only three. But um, I shouldn't say only because I'm sure they were huge. But. Uh, Ronnie Bonner's through Shadow. Yeah, we've done a couple projects with Ron and Shadow. Um, we've done now three. Is it three? We, we've had three projects with Colt that have been out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, another one coming out in October as well oh, okay. uh, of this year. Um, that'll be out um, for everyone. And, and these are all shoes. These are all shoes. There's an apparel component mm-hmm. to uh, to some of this as well. Oh, okay. A uh, lot of like a lot of hats, a lot of tees, long sleeve tees, uh-huh. um, things like that. Oh, nice. Um, that's been pretty good. Uh, with Dakota, he's had not only some uh, colorways of some apparel, but we've mm-hmm. also pulled in just like kind of a, like a curated selection of products too, where it was like the color from the season worked out and it was stuff that he was going to wear, like pant-wise yeah. or backpacks, things like that. Right. So it wasn't necessarily signature products from him, but it all kind right. of sat together and we would sell that, show it and sell it into accounts. Uh, as if it was like kind of his curated selection of product, and we would we knew we were going to market those pieces specifically in BMX too. Right. Yeah. Actually, that brings up a, a question for me. When when did Vans start to expand beyond shoes, and and start getting into lifestyle wear, clothing, that type of thing? Yeah, you we've know? been doing that for a really long time. Uh, I have. Seems like it's I, more I don't. Recognized. I want to say it was. There was even some apparel components going back to the '80s for sure. Okay. Uh, I don't think the '70s. I'd have to. I'm not beyond the '80s. It's kind of like my scope of remembering sure. a lot of this stuff. So I do remember apparel there in the '80s. I don't remember in the '70s. There could have been a, a component. Come to there. think of it, on the skate side, I think there was. Yeah. Yeah, and actually. Like, on the BMX racing side, they had a team that was run yes. by the Everett Rosecrans. Yep, I was going to bring him up in our yeah. history, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess then there was, yeah, there were t-shirts and things. I guess I'm, I guess I knew there were shirts. It was just the expansion of the line all the way. You were talking about backpacks. Even. Everything. Pants, backpacks. Apparel, accessories, uh, and footwear. Like so you're really talking our focus, belts yeah. even? Like yes. It's, that's amazing. How long has that been going on? That is, uh, that's been going on for sure, since probably early mid nineties, mid nineties, I'd say, oh, okay. when we started doing a lot more accessories, things oh. like that. I right. guess it was a little bit before my time. I was going to give you all the credit for it, so no, you know, I'll give you half credit. No, I don't work. I actually don't work on apparel at all. Actually, no. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of cross pollinization there with our BMX stuff, obviously. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have any oversight from a business right. standpoint on that side. But your connection on the BMX side may bring it to the apparel yeah, side. Yeah, I mean, there's a, like, like when we have athletes in there, you know, and, and what we want to work on or other brands, things like that, it was me, you know, there was a lot of, like, reaching out to the apparel side on the, the merchandising uh, team there uh, to pull those guys in on the meeting to find out what we can do, how do we best support this, how do we create, like, and curate, like, kind of a whole selection of products that, you know,
know, accounts you're going to want to take and, and support, you know, because there's a lot of, like, it, it just helps, you know, with a lot of that stuff of, uh, you know, they just don't want shoes. It's like, yes, the shoes are awesome, but yeah. it's also like, hey, I, you know, I'll, I'll sell some sweatshirts or like a hats to go along with it, too. Like, yeah. Let's, let's do it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I was just talking to a, a guy in Brooklyn last weekend. I'd gone to a play. It was a BMX play. It was really cool called Spectacle BMX. Okay. Um, put on by a friend of mine from Brooklyn. But I went to dinner at a... at a. It, it was a skater's restaurant. He got out of the skate part of the business and he has, has a restaurant, but it's very skate-themed. Yeah. So, to make a long story short, we had a quick conversation about he's from Venezuela and he started a deck company and he quickly realized that decks were not where the skateboards were not where the money was at it no. was really the shoes the yeah. clothes and all that and yes. the reason I'm tying this in is because it seems that for a guy like Dakota Roach it's probably well you tell me I mean it, the clothing has to be as important as the, the bike manufacturer sponsored component oh yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure yeah I'm okay. sure at this point uh, the unfortunate part is there's not a whole lot of uh or companies left in BMX, right? Right. There's right. like us at these, uh, unfortunately, just scaled their program back a little bit. So I know there's some riders that, that probably uh, um, you know, aren't getting paid what they used to. That's for sure. Um, Nike, you know, is in the in, in the game with uh, with the team. Uh, I don't, from what I understand, that's that's not going past the end of this year. Um, unfortunately, for, for skate or no, for for BMX. For BMX. Now there is some guys that. That are bigger than BMX now that are right. in that program, right? Like like Nigel Sylvester is like a good example of right. those guys who I I don't even know if he's been getting paid from for BMX specifically anymore. Right. Uh, they have a whole program through like their sportswear program that's mm -hmm. a lot of like basketball players and, and, and hip hop guys and things mm -hmm. like that. I think he's kind of on that level now with, I the, got with you. that with that brand. Right, um, where it's like he's more of a personality at this point, yeah. you know, yeah, which is yeah. good. I think it's a good thing for BMX because his reach is big. Yeah, right. Well, I think it's necessary. You yeah, know what? We'll is he the world's th best BMXer? No, <laughs> like, and I know there's a lot That's of critics right. there, right? Oh, but sure. it's like at the same time, naturally, you know, you talk to people that don't ride BMX, and, right? But they just, you know. It's like, oh yeah, I heard, I heard him on the like whatever on whatever radio station that yeah. he's like hooked up with some of those hip hop guys back in New York or whatever. So yeah. I, I, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, he was on the radio station. Or it's like right. I heard he was like he was in the, some skateboarders in this other web yeah. video I saw, and it was like well, that's, yeah. it's kind of cool from like a sure. at least you're getting BMX in front of an audience that normally would never see it, which is great. You know who's doing a. a a job at that, which is which is hard for some BMXers to swallow, is um, is Austin Augie. Okay. So he's transitioning into modeling that type of thing, and you know what? Honestly, it's not my thing, but I can't blame the guy. He's being he's marketing himself. He's finding a yeah. niche because he knows that BMX alone isn't going to support him, you know, through through and through. So. I, maybe that's happening more than I realize. Is is that true with other? I know you're involved in in the BMX part of things, but is that happening more with like skate and surf? Yeah, there's a lot of crossover there. I mean, there's a lot, like especially the bigger name guys. I mean, they're doing a lot of like you know, like well, they do like TV ads or, or you know, modeling jobs, things like that. Right. They're involved with starting up their own companies and things like that in other 
facets of their lives, not necessarily skateboarding or action right. sports. It's you know. Oh, Kelly Slater is a great example of yeah. that, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's there's guys like uh, Jeff Rowley that owns a whole other company too. Like he's got his hands in, in all kinds of stuff. But like he has a, uh, a company that makes knives. Pocket, really? pocket knives and, and hunting knives and things and like I that. And I don't know Jeff. Is he what Jerry? Uh, skateboarder. Yeah. He's yeah, a skateboarder? Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. that's okay. I just yeah. didn't know. Yeah. Okay. So he's in that. You guys are more than happy to have people, you know, have their own. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't deal. interfere with what he does no, with us anything. at all. Like, if anything, it's one more, you know, piece of marketing that's out in the world that people know him from, you know? That yeah, right. Probably, he's probably tapping into an audience through pocket knives that he would never reach through skateboarding right <laughs> that's right i think he's he, you know most of the guys that use his pocket knives are probably skateboarders and bmxers but, yeah right you know, right he, right but he's probably reaching more people that way yeah yeah hey before you know it all the boy scouts will be wearing um vans to meetings and you can't put their pocket knives at the yeah that the skater yeah you know, is, is is producing so yeah anyway that's that's cool stuff that that yeah, explains think, a lot to but me but I think uh, just from a structure standpoint um, you know like we like at Vans we, we believe very heavily in like in, in our four kind of core action sports that we've been involved with almost since the beginning inception of those sports mm-hmm. That's, that'd be surfing skateboarding mm-hmm. uh, BMX and snowboarding so oh, those right. very, are very are held in very high regard there right? right and BMX is in a really good place right now from a structure standpoint of uh, it's the only one that's not really a board sport there. Yeah. So it kind of gets sits. It used to sit off to the side in a yeah. weird place, but now I feel like it's gotten to the point where it's all right. They're looked at pretty unilaterally right, uh, right there. Uh, well, way back in the day, they had that the Vans freestyle team. Yeah. Which had skateboarding and BMX. Well, and that was Everett Rosecrans also. Yes. So I think it was Beetle Rosecrans and, yeah. and some others. Yeah, that, yeah. We had that one. big plexi fold-up oh, yeah. ramp. Yeah. It was the, the traveling half-pipe show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was that was using BMX and skate at yes. the time, right? Yeah, and Everett was our first uh, team manager, marketing, kind of marketing personality and sports marketing, I would say. Oh, okay. I don't know what his exact corporate title was at that point in time, but he was more or yeah. less like our sports marketing guy slash yeah. team manager for skate and BMX, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to send you a picture I have of him racing out on the East Coast. Okay. It was at Egg Harbor. Okay. I remember him seeing him at Ashes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like he would go everywhere. Yeah, when I was a little kid. And yeah. I think at that time, he was in his 40s. Oh, so yeah. He would have been... Yeah, mid forties. Sure. He, he should. Yeah, he would have had to been Which by then. We thought it was were ancient then. Up at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, was it Kyle and Beetle or something like that? I yeah. Don't know. But anyway, the, uh, yeah, yeah. BMX being in a much better, uh, much much better place, very good place right now within like kind of our corporate structure, which is great. So it, it allows us to do things uh, like put out BMX specific product every season, uh, support those riders, have signature products with them, right. uh, create and organize BMX specific events like the Pro Cup that we're doing, which is our global bowl series right now. Um, uh, uh, do things like our street invitational that we just did last week in Huntington Beach. Mm. Um, which, which was huge. Yeah. Which, has a, which is huge in terms of, um, uh, you know, like, we, it wasn't a small purse there. It was a pretty big it chunk of cash. It was $25,000. Yeah. I don't know how that divided up, but it was, yeah. it was seen, I saw the Garrett, uh, was it Garrett Reynolds? Yeah. One? Yep. And I'm thinking, I don't know what the split was, but that was a pretty good payday for him, I would Yeah, imagine. I think he had a pretty good Saturday, you know? Yeah, yeah. Probably a better Saturday night. Oh. And the nicest guy, by the way, too. I met him in Manhattan 
he was actually at Austin Audience event. Yeah. Super nice guy. Yeah, so yeah, any, yeah. anyway, I, it was, it, I was shocked when I saw that and I kept thinking, you know, obviously having BMX racing roots, you're like, why can't this happen yeah. in BMX racing? But, you know, I always have high hopes for BMX racing, but it's, it's such a complex I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I I am so far removed from it now that I don't even know if I have a valid opinion on it. I just it feels to me it's in an odd place. Yeah, uh, figuring it's just out. there's no real crossover there anymore. No, no, it's become uh, it's become a like we were talking about before where you you were fortunately specific when I just said BMX BMX racing. It's yeah. turned into divisions of BMX and it's it's very distinct divisions. So. Yeah, that one division is really and it or looks, discipline. I and it say. looks crazy. Like when you watch it on the Olympics yeah. or like those uh, those World Cup events they do or whatever they're I forget what they're called now. Is that what it's there? World it's Cup. World Cup. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they look gnarly. Like yeah. I wouldn't jump the first jump. I wouldn't even yeah. roll. Like even the starting gate. And crazy. Is, I think if they call it an eight meter hill or something like that. But yeah, it, they're starting at this. You know, who knows how many? I, I guess that would be like a, a three story high <laughs> building drop something yeah. like that. But that's where it's it's uh, the identity seems to be even further split because that's different from what you would if you hopped on a bike and raced in California on a local track right yeah, now. Yeah, they're not like that. Yeah. Or me in Connecticut, it looks completely different than what you see on the yeah. on the international level. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, the Chula Vista, the Olympic Training yes. Center, is you know down yeah. by San Diego, so sure. like I mean, it's not that far from right. where 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 I'm located. But yeah, right. that's the only one that's really like that that right. I know of. Yeah, and we don't have one closer to us than uh, Louisville, Kentucky, I believe. It's okay. the closest one. Yeah. So, and maybe Rock Hill, uh, South Carolina, I think it is. But anyway, um, a little digression there. Anyway, but, yeah, so uh, BMX, good place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really awesome pro and AM team, Flow Riders right now with mm-hmm. Vans, which is great. Um, and who's on Who's on the team for... for Foley and then Flow. Foley there is so Flow. many that I'd have to pull up a, a list um, somewhere to like look it up. Yeah, yeah I apologize. That's putting, like you, the split in a, that's between, putting you in a bad position. I, if Jerry was Tough here, position. he'd be able to rattle them off. Well, that's true because yeah, he, he's he manages the, the day in day out of all of that. Yeah, yeah. So gotcha. that's that's the world he lives in. I unfortunately like you know I I, I, I peep into it a little bit or sure. we talk about it all the time, but right. Uh, right. Um, he would be able to rattle off every single person. I know there's a few that you And do there's, know. like, things that crop up all the time where, like, mm-hmm. I'll just see Vans on somebody's feet. I'm like, are we sending that guy shoes now? He's like, yeah, yeah, I sent him a box of stuff. <laughs> well, you're going to meet a family this weekend who I'm sure you're aware of already, but the Hallahans. Yeah. Uh, the Hallahan boys. Which yes. I, I, have you met them yet? I have not, no. I can't wait to introduce you. They're just, they're amazing. And I don't know if they're flow or, or a team or what the deal is, but they're... I, I think they kind of got... They came to light through uh, Crandall, probably, at FBM. Sure. Yeah. Um, sure. Steve's been working with us on all kinds of stuff. Like, okay. he's actually doing the announcing at a lot of our oh, contests. Right. Like, he was just in California doing the announcing right. at the uh, Street Invitational last weekend. Right. Um, but we 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 have him come out to all our bowl contests, like mm-hmm. the Mobile Bowl Series. He does all the announcing live with Daryl now. Daryl, right. Yeah. Okay. And... Um, both of them are hilarious together. Yeah. Um, they're awesome dudes. Yeah, they. It, yeah. I, I I've known them both for a while, and uh, they're great guys. Yeah, I, I wish I could speak that well on a mic <laughs> to get people hyped up. They're yeah. just so good at it. It's it's amazing. But anyhow, 
So, so Hallahan's, I think, got probably put on Jerry's radar through, through I would assume, like Crandall. Yeah, because um, he supports those guys, mm-hmm. and and I think Jerry has sent them some stuff. I don't know how or, or what sure. or you know or, or when it was sent, but I think you know we obviously send those guys some stuff, and we we we're here to support the event uh, yeah. this weekend at the Wheel Mill. Why you brought that up? Because I missed one of the most important things. You know, we're at you're you're here visiting, but you're also here to support the Next Generation Jam, which Vans is a is a big part of. Yeah, and the Hallahans are a big part of. So um, it's it's a great thing, and Scotty Kramer is going to be here, another Vans rider, Trey Jones, another Vans rider. So those are the Vans riders that I know of that are going to be here. Um, yes, yeah, unless yeah. there's more that that you know about that I don't. That's the list I got from Jerry for sure. Oh, okay. That's the only ones I, I know of that are that are coming here. Yeah. So I, I don't even think they they knew I was coming out. Yeah. Which is my trip was kind of last minute actually. Yeah. Hey, well, now we can spot check, make sure they're wearing pants. Yeah. I'm just kidding. You'll surprise them. <laughs> That's right. <coughs> I, I actually would just be happy if Trey's wearing shoes. Explain that to me. I, because that was my first introduction coming back into the sport was him in California. Yeah, yeah. Backflipping out of the bowl barefoot. What was that all about? I don't know. It was late. In the, it was late in the week that he had been there. I'm, I'm sure he was just tired and over it. And yeah. He was like, "I'm going to do a backflip without my shoes on." Okay. All right. And I'll ask him when I. And it was so. It was so like zoned in on by, you know, the announcing and just everybody had seen it that it was like it became kind of a thing. Right. 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 And then. Uh, so then, I, I, it put Jerry in a weird place, probably because it was probably like, "Hey, why, why isn't that guy that rides for us wearing shoes?" But then it became such a thing that, like, everybody talked about his shoe sponsorship because of it. So, like, right, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, the press right. is press, right? So, oh my gosh. people oh. are at least talking. Paulie, how are you? I don't mind if your voice comes in through this at all. Um. It's a friend of mine from New York, actually, oh, awesome. and his kids. Oh, nice. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's that's hilarious. Yeah. How's everything? Good. Great. How are you doing? Um, this is Seen. Uh, hey, Nathan. Did, he's yeah, from he's yeah. from Van, so okay, we're all going to ride you. after. No, we'll catch you out there. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so anyway, yeah, that's that's pretty fun. I'll have to ask, funny, I'll have to ask Trey about that. But, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So Van's involvement in, in events, I yes. did have that on my radar of things okay. to talk to you about because not only do you support events yes, like this, mm-hmm. like fundraisers like I've done, and events, whether it be trays, you know, Swamp Fest or what have you, but you also put on your own events. Yes. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, we, to, we're in a place to, now where we, we have a Global Bowl series, which mm-hmm. is now pretty established, giving riders, um, like, you know, like transition riders that mm-hmm. probably feel a little alienated now by the, not, no, no disrespect to the, like, the Fee series or whatever, that's sure. now the feeder for the Olympics, things like that. Right. It's not my particular cup of tea. Right. Um, but it's, you know, like, that's a big global series, and mm-hmm. it's, it's how uh, riders are going to be picked for the Olympics now. Right. For freestyle BMX. Um, Our series probably gives the riders that can't shine there or Mm -hmm. wouldn't shine there or don't even really feel that comfortable with that type of series Mm -hmm. um, anymore. Um, Guys like a Larry Edgar, you know what I mean? They can blast 15 feet out of a bowl or or even higher, I think. Right. Um, And, you know, like there's a lot more style involved, things like that. Um, 
So I think there wasn't a series like that. So we, you know, we, we thought like, hey, our, our home is maybe give, create a series that those guys can uh-huh. do and kind of put BMX onto uh, kind of a platform that we want to showcase it the way we, we like to see it, you know? Right. Um, and that's kind of our thing now, I think. Like, it's, at least it's become that over the last two years of doing this. Sure. Right? So putting on your own series yeah. allows you to, Nobody to, was doing to it. do it the way you want to do we'll it. We'll do it ourselves. Like, yeah. We'll figure it out. We, we want... We want to showcase BMX that way, right. um, so let's we'll, we'll put on our own series. We'll do it that way. And on top of that, including women, yes, women's division, which has been hugely popular, which has probably given them also a platform to get involved in other contests. I would imagine. I would assume. I would assume so. But I think it was just to also show, you know, uh, everybody out there, like you know, women, women ride bikes, girls right. and women ride bikes, you right. know, and they they're really good at it. <laughs> they are. They are. They're amazing. Yeah. It's. I, I just think it's great. I mean, the series is great. So there's there's two different series. Is that right? So there's just one series, basically. So the, yeah. there's the the Global Bowl series that we do. Um, and there's also regional qualifiers okay. to it. So the bowl series itself is invite only, mm-hmm. um, but it's o- the qualifiers that we do right. in one in every region like the world um, are open to anybody come. So if you place in the top three, I believe it is, yeah. then you will get an invite to the actual, like the pro bowl series, like uh, the global series. I got you. Yeah. Okay. All right. And yeah. then the street deal is a whole separate contest. The street series. deal is a totally separate mm-hmm. co- like contest altogether. That just it's a standalone event we do once a year at, uh, and we've done it the last. This would have been I think the third year we did it, at, and it's been so at the Huntington Beach skate park. Okay. Yeah. And the bowl series is on how many years on that one? This would be the second full year of it. Second full year. As a global, as a global, as a global series. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So was the first year just California? The first years we did of it were just the, uh, the U.S. Open in Huntington Beach. That's what I'm so, confusing yeah. you with. So okay. that, that that stop became part of the whole global series that we're doing now. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, but it started with that. It started with us just doing that contest to, uh-huh. to kind of uh, give a venue and like in an event for those type of riders. I gotcha. Yeah. And that included skate also? It included skate. So that's the U.S. Open of Surfing's happening. That's right. On the same, in Beach, in Huntington uh, Beach, right? I forgot about that. And yeah, that's that part of a full series that's also mm-hmm. tied to, you know, a whole other global surf series as well. So, um, wow. and then and then our our event there uh, tied in skateboarding and BMX on the on the beach. So every year we build that giant hole in the beach. Yeah. And then we have to tear it back down again. I don't know how you guys. I wish this. it could stay there. I know that is absolutely. And every amazing. year I'm I'm able to like uh, I I'm really thankful to Jerry. He usually helps me sneak in and ride it like in the morning before practice or something for a good hour. So I'm always at least able to get in there and get at least about an hour on it every every year. Get a little feel for what's going on. Is it the same? Which makes me appreciate what the riders, real pro riders are doing once they're on the course. Because like, I can say, oh, I just rode that hip and I went about three feet off it maybe. And then you watch guys like... Uh, Larry Edgar right, right. or Matt Cordova or those right. guys ride it and they're you know 15 feet over right. it. You're like, oh, yep, that's right. why they get paid. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is is it the same setup and it just gets warehoused and then put back together? No, it's different every 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 year. We do a di- complete new, different layout. Now they're laid out pretty similar, sure, but the lines all change. The whole thing is new. This this like boggles my mind because the I keep, you know naturally 
maybe it's because I think about building anything in this way. The, just to pull off everything that goes into the infrastructure of these contests must be. Oh, it's must massive. Just be we huge. have yeah, yeah yeah we have a full events team. They also work with the U.S. Open. Uh, events promotions team, which is its own separate thing outside right. of our business too. Yeah, I got you. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's a it's quite an undertaking, and we we do a full pop up van store on the beach. Uh, I forget what the square footage is, mm-hmm. but it's massive. I mean, that week that it's there, we do a massive amount of business uh-huh. selling shoes, t shirts, hats, everything. We have a lot of U.S. Open branded merchandise that's there as well. Right. Um, but it's 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 a massive undertaking. Yeah, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah. Is that ever affiliated with the WSL, with the World Surf League? I, I'm terrible with surfing because no, I've just okay. never lived in that world. Um, I want to say yes. I'm, I'm, if it's not part of the actual like point series, then it's at least like a qualifier or something before okay. that. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible with the No, with no, the that's okay. World. I thought I saw WSL in there somewhere at, at one point, but... Um, it, just, just a thought, and and I went to one on Long Island with my son once, and I seem to remember a, a, a Vans pop-up store on the beach on Long Island. It's the one time they had an event out that way, and it was it was super cool. It was, it was yeah. Cool. So, uh, did you want to talk Vans history? That might be. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's do that definitely. So, um, I can at least at least hit the highlights probably. So, yeah. Uh, Vans uh, started back in 60, 1966 when Paul Van Doren and uh, the Van Doren family left Boston. He was working for another footwear brand at the time. He had moved to California to start his own footwear company, uh, and that was started making deck shoes back in 1966, and it was called the Van Doren Rubber Company, believe that, it or not. And that was in Anaheim, California at the oh time. I yeah. can't believe they're from Boston, too. Yeah, That's, the original original shoe, still around to this day, the Authentic, yeah. they were known as style numbers back then. Even up through, like, the 80s and maybe even early 90s, they, I remember that, too. Like, so the original shoe, our Authentic, which is, like, the first deck shoe that we built, right. that was a style 44. Okay. And then the next shoe, I believe, that came out of that, there may have been some other versions as well in there, too, but... Mm-hmm. Um, like the era was a style 95 mm, yes um, that's I, I wear those to this day it's yeah. probably still my favorite shoe I think the one that's I grew up the number I remember that. yeah um, short then, low cut uh, I don't even think there's padding on them right? the, the style 95 the era does have the padding okay. the authentic the, region, the OG one uh, mm-hmm. style 44 is no padding on it gotcha so okay. they're pretty similar shoes right like right. they look almost identical sure. one has padding one doesn't that's yeah. about the difference between those two yeah um they kind of uh so paul van doren uh kind of kind of sharp guy sharp guy he partnered with uh some surfers and things like that early on one of them would have been um i forget how how you pronounce his last name duke uh it's like kanamoku maybe uh, oh, i might be yes this, i'm terrible again surf world is not mm, the world no I it's okay in. i've heard um, the name but he, he partnered with him he was a huge legend uh, mm-hmm. hawaiian surfer right right um and he was he was pretty famous for those iconic like hawaiian shirts so we did hawaiian shirt printed prints on the shoe that matched up with his yeah, his yeah, hawaiian yeah. shirts so that kind of put him on the map with surfers okay uh and then not that long after that is, is kind of when like you know skateboarding was happening in that like late 60s and 70s early 70s at the time sure and the shoes just kind of got adopted because they were you know they're surfers like right. those first skateboarders were surfers right so they, they were living in that world right um 
and and at the time, Vans was also the first uh, footwear company that I know of that was probably offering custom footwear. Like you could show up at their store at the yeah. factory yeah. with a swatch of fabric, right? And they would make a pair of shoes out of it for you. Oh my gosh! So Do you remember Arrow Leathers? Yes. See, yeah, that's what it reminds me yeah. of. Because you tell them what colors you want, and they yeah. do different the panels and different. And colors. they offered all kinds of different stuff, but yeah. you know, I mean, it was the same deal. It's like you could right. show up and bring your own material, and they would make a pair of shoes out of it. I don't know what the turnaround time was at that point, yeah, you yeah. know, in, right, right. in the business, but yeah. yeah, you could you could show up, which I always thought was crazy. Like hear yeah. about that because that was. You know, I, I, my familiarity with it was way later, obviously, yeah, yeah. but I'm like, you could show up and they'd make a pair. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was amazing. That's uh, probably where the NBL shoe came from. Do you ever see the NBL shoe? From no. National Bicycle League shoe. There's an, there's an NBL shoe. I'll, sometime I'll find the picture and send it to you. What was the brand? It was Vans. We made it? You guys made it, yeah. What year? I don't know. I just found it on Instagram one day. We did some uh, shoes for the UCI when, when BMX racing got into oh, okay. the Olympics the first year. Yeah. Like, we, we did some UCI-printed uh, stuff and, and sent those to be on the feed of, like, all the starters and, like, the track officials okay. and stuff like that, which they were. They were actually on the, in the Olympics. Yeah. I don't recall it being UCI. I remember yeah. NBL specifically, and it was a red, white, and blue shoe. It was a white sole. And, uh, that was probably a deal through Everett, I bet. Okay. That was probably an Everett deal back in the 80s. Could have been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um, anyway, uh, so, you know, Vans kind of got adop- adopted by those first kind of, like, skateboarders that are riding mm-hmm. pools, like the Z-Boys in Dogtown. Oh, right. Right. Um, yeah, Tony Alva, Stacy Peralta. And that kind of led to Vans creating the first, like, specific be, um, skate shoes. Right. And that would have been 76 that the era came out, the, the Style 95 oh, we were just okay. talking about. So that was the first <laughs> shoe that took some input from skateboarders like Tony mm-hmm. and Stacy. And they said, hey, we need a little padding around the collar to help protect our ankles. Right. Um, you know, and so they added that in, and that came out in 76, I think, was is the year that that came out. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, after that, let's see, like the old school, which is this would have been style 36, I hope that's right, came out like maybe a year after that in 77 or 78, I believe. Yeah. Um, and that was the first shoe that had our um, side stripe branding on it, which was oh. at the time was called a jazz stripe. Oh, okay. I don't know why it was called that. Presumably because it jazzed up the shoe, maybe. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. but that was the first. The old school was our but, first shoe. But this? Yes. The No, that was the skate high, which came out. Like, oh, no, I don't mean the height, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. The, but the stripe? Yes, this the, the size stripe on your shoe. Yeah. Joe's huh. wearing a pair of skate highs, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Old old ratty skate highs. Yeah. But it's nice that he's loyal. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am yeah. super loyal. Before I even knew you. <laughs> Forever. I even wore yeah, t- so the, I even wore TNTs at one point. Yeah. And so the old school and the skate, skate high were the first shoes that really had that, that side stripe on them. Oh, okay. And they came out I think in seventy seven and seventy eight, like okay. really close to each other. The yeah. old school, the low top was the was the one that came out first. I gotcha. Um, and we've been involved in BMX um, 
right around that same time frame. Like, mm-hmm. you know, guys were obviously riding and racing BMX in the, you know, mid early mid seventies. Right. Southern California, they were they were wearing they were wearing vans. We've been officially involved in BMX uh, since nineteen seventy nine. So it'll be forty years next year. Oh wow. Yeah, so for in seventy nine was the first year that we actually had official sponsorship contracts mm-hmm. um, with a couple riders. Uh, Greg Hill and Bob Harrell were the first were the first two. So Really? One yeah. free one freestyle. One for one freestyle race. and one for racing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what's funny is we had uh, we still work with Bob quite a bit on some stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he did the artwork for our bowl series this year for all the posters and the and the website and things oh, like that. Oh with the crank arms with the pedals and the crank and the gear and not not the logo, but he did like the actual like promotional posters oh, that, nice. uh, and things like that. So if you, you can kind of pick his artwork out, right? Oh like yeah. It's, it's pretty iconic. Oh yeah. Um, but it, he was up at the office it was it was six months ago maybe mm-hmm. when we were talking through all that stuff I think or finalizing some of that stuff and uh-huh. then he got actually Greg Hill on the phone oh yeah and Greg ran us through the history oh of God. his uh, affiliation with Vans and how he got in touch with him and how he got sponsored and stuff and it was a pretty amazing story actually we, we probably should make like a web series out of that yeah. or something like it's it's yeah. it's pretty amazing actually oh yeah um, anyway so we like Vans sponsored Bob Haro's first national freestyle tour mm-hmm. so Vans was technically Haro and Vans were the first right. uh, nationwide like uh, freestyle tour, like touring, but like showed sure. up at bike shops at malls, uh, right. did like the quarter pipe uh, shows and things like that. Yeah. So we were one of Bob's first sponsors to like get help him like put that on. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty wild that it goes back to that long ago. And there were some really iconic photos of Bob wearing the white skate highs with like the blue side stripe that he had like custom made yeah. and matched the Haro colors and things like that back then. Right. Right. Uh, of him like doing like. Uh, like on these weird little kick turn ramps yes. doing shows and stuff around yeah. like quarter pipes from back then. Yeah. I always remember the kick turn ramps for, yeah. for some reason more than more than quarter pipes. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah, so at, at that time Everett Rosecrans would have been like our first kind of marketing manager, team manager. Um, and like we talked about a little earlier, he was he, he oversaw like skate and BMX. Right. I don't know about his involvement in surf at the time, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I do know for sure skating BMX like he was the guy rolling right. around taking the uh, that plexiglass half pipe yes. out the shows um, he was he was on the road at the races that that type of stuff yeah and it, he and it was a pro only team I believe pro only just, team yeah yeah and I think obviously there was probably riders that were getting flow at the time sure. in both freestyle and, sure. and racing at that right. point in time. But yeah, there was it was it was it was an undertaking, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Him driving a van around towing a plexiglass ramp <laughs> or a race trailer at the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You ain't the only with those pros because he had some wild ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was kinda of around in the time that vans really started to blow up in the early eighties. Um, probably stemming um, from uh, a movie, uh, Fast Times, Ridgemont High. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Spicoli. Spicoli wearing yeah. the checkerboard slip-ons. Yeah. Um, that, that really, I think, put, like, a really heavy spotlight on the brand because yeah. they were odd-looking shoes at the time. You know what yeah. I mean? Like a pair of checkerboard shoes. Who, who sees that at that yeah. point in time? So I did get a know, pair after that. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, definitely, it, it <laughs> that definitely was some good marketing, whether it was intentional or not. Right. I don't think so. 
Um, you could make a statement with those. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere USA, you could yeah. wear those shoes and make a statement. Yeah, everybody knows. Like, you see them from, you know, 50 yards away. You're like, that guy's yeah. got a pair of Vans on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. is awesome. Right. Um, and then we continue to have a huge presence um, in the 80s, like, through, through skateboarding, BMX, mm-hmm. um, music, whether that's, like, punk rock or metal. But, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, mean I, can't, I can't even tell you how many photos I probably had of, like, Metallica when I was a little kid that, you know, they were wearing, like, Vans half the time. Really? Like, some of them were wearing Nikes, too. Like, but, yeah. you know, I mean, there was, there was a lot of photos of that type yeah, of right. stuff, too. I never even thought about that. Yeah. Music, art world, that kind of yeah. thing. Like, that's when we, we, we really started getting involved on all that stuff. Sure. Um, and then that takes us probably to the first signature skate shoe, actually. So Vans was the first okay. brand to put out a signature skate shoe, which would have been with Steve Caballero uh, in 88, I believe it was. I'm pretty sure it was Was that the first signature shoe, period? That was the first signature shoe, period, from what I understand, from in, all... skate, in skateboarding. All of Anytime. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't even a signature don't, shoe for BMX racing, or racing, I should say. Was there ever one? I don't no, believe. I don't believe so. I mean, there we we did some signature stuff back in the in the late nineties mm-hmm. and early two thousands, and, and even into like the middle of the two thousands yeah. and stuff in BMX. But um, I mean, it would make sense. That yeah, there wouldn't have been. But but eighty eight would have been the first signature product, like in probably action sports or what we call sure. action sports today, right? Yeah. Right, right. And that was Steve Caballero's full cab is what the name of that shoe was. Yeah. And then right. skaters started cutting them down in, um, into like mid tops at that point. Oh. Because they were okay. like, well, it's a little too high for me. I, don't, I yeah. need to move my ankle a little bit more. Right. So they were right. cutting them down. So then we started making them a mid top yeah. version. Right. That is the half cab. So it's still around today. Yes. Yeah. Really popular in BMX right. too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that, that shoe has been going for, you know, 20, 25. Yeah, 25 years now. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, which is crazy. It is. Um, that kind of takes us into probably, at least going into the 90s, right? And right. And Vans became a publicly traded company in 91. It was 91? 91 is what, it was a privately held company up until 91. How do so few people know this? Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> like like we were talking about earlier, it's, it's common knowledge. I yeah. Mean, it's, I remember, you know, finding... My first BMX company on the on the stock exchange. Just just looking. I believe it was, I believe it was GT, but I could be wrong. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. It, but it was under a different name. I, I forget what it was. But anyway. Um, but it was under Pacific Cycles probably at the time. It may, it may or maybe have, yeah. Because that's who owned the distributor, the right way distributor, and yeah, yeah. it yeah. could have been. But so publicly traded ninety one. Yeah. I mean, but still. Is very independent, as as far as I could see. I mean, obviously there's responsibilities corporately, but it's it stands alone so, as its own building. Yeah. So ninety one would have been the first time that it was publicly traded, but now it, it's actually. I can get into that in a second. Second, I'll run through the rest of the van's history here, and then we'll get. Oh, into, did I jump ahead to yeah, a buyout? Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, Go all ahead. good. You you. You, I'm yeah. going to listen. I'm going to be a student like I should be, like I am. Go so for it. That finally takes us into, so the next kind of major milestone was probably 95, where we sponsored the first Warp Tour. Oh, right. That involved, obviously, music, and then there was like a half-pipe uh, component to that with skateboarding and BMX shows. Um, guys like Dennis McCoy did the shows, Rick Thorne, right. those, those type of guys. I, I actually went in 95 to the first one. 
um, and I drove to Cleveland with a few friends to go see you know, who was riding, and then there was a couple bands we wanted to see yeah, as well. Right. Um, but I remember driving to Cleveland on the first year, because it didn't come to Pittsburgh when I was living here. So we, we made the two-hour drive up to Cleveland to go see it. Cleveland and not Pittsburgh? Yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah, the mistake on the lake. Sorry, would be, sorry people from yeah, Cleveland. Right. <laughs> Connell would be, is going to be really upset. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I do, you know what's funny is I remember seeing, I, I don't know if even if he listens to this, maybe he does, Keith Trainer. So I don't know. I didn't see him at the Warped Tour stop in yeah. Cleveland, but his bike was sitting next to the ramp by the stage, and I remember seeing it, and I was like, oh, Trainer must be here, and he's probably going to ride the half pipe later or something. Yeah. yeah. Right. Never saw. Never saw. I don't him? think he rode. <laughs> wow. We can only suspect what happened. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna. Yeah, I don't know what he was up to. But right, he, right. he was not riding his right. bike that day. Gotcha. And I do remember wow. seeing his bike sitting there. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, anyway, that then that probably takes us in, and that's actually been the longest running. I, I believe the Warp Tour is the longest running uh, music tour in the U.S. It's been running consistently since '95. Still to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my kids have been. Yeah. It's, it's, I know it's been going for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow, that's and, uh, amazing. And then that takes us into probably the first really big contest series that we did in skateboarding and BMX, which was the Vans Triple Crown. Oh, right. So that started in 96. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was huge and like grew to include like skateboarding, BMX, surfing, freestyle motocross. I think there was even a racing moto, like a motocross yes. component at yeah. some point. And that was broadcast on MT, uh, NBC, uh, ESPN, Fox. I mean, it was on major networks at that point in time. Wow. Um, and that was kind of the same. That was actually the same year, 96, that starting year there. Mm-hmm. Um, would have been the first year that we did a footwear collaboration with a brand called Supreme. Okay. So Supreme lives in that world of skateboarding and kind of streetwear. Right. They were the, like, I wouldn't say they were the first ones because to open up like those kind of like, like skate fashion kind of like boutique stores and things like that because Stussy was doing it uh, around that same time time frame, I believe. Uh Uh-huh. But that, that kind of the first brand collaboration that we did back in 96 and we've had a really good working relationship with uh with those guys since then actually still to this day we we do projects every season with those guys Uh um and then that kind of puts us into what like the like early 2000s um where skate shoes were pretty big and puffy with airbags um and in my opinion pretty terrible Uh, i was guilty of wearing some of those probably at the point in time but not because i really wanted to there's there's an instagram question that that someone threw out there that i'll I'll mention i'll mention afterward yeah i want want to hear that but uh, okay so so during that time frame uh van started to kind of reinvest in our heritage styles like the authentic the era old school skate highs Mm -hmm. um and we were doing a lot of like high-end collaborations and like kind of that streetwear and fashion world on those classic silhouettes right um trying to kind of like spark some life back into that and that's really what led us where we are today where that stuff really started to take off around that time period um came kind of came back into fashion you know and just the average guy wanting like the classics from every brand so sure. and and that kind of happened at a time frame that was was really really well timed for for our brand right um, and that kind of takes us up into almost where we're at now right yeah uh, but before that happened we um, not many people know this, but 
Vans is actually owned by another company called VF Corporation or Vanity Fair, which is a giant corporation. That's um, what it stands for. Yes, Vanity oh, wow. Fair. Okay. Is, yeah, so that's that's VF right there. Um, yeah, so they're they're interesting in the fact that they bought. Let's see, this is all public knowledge. Mm-hmm. So this is all uh, VF is obviously a publicly traded uh, corporation. So they have to disclose all this information, financial mm-hmm. earnings, what the, what they do every quarter, year end right. reporting, that kind of thing. Um, Vans bought or um, VF bought Vans in two thousand four. For three hundred ninety-six million dollars, you can Google. You can Google that if you want and find that. Right, right. Um, no secret. I actually did because I kind of remember the dollar <laughs> dollar amount, but I had to right. actually Google it this morning to actually figure that out. Right. Um, and uh, in uh, in in two thousand seventeen, um, Vans's is just north of three billion dollars worth of sales. So three billion. Yeah. So two thousand eighteen. So so four, fourteen years later. We've grown from a four, roughly four hundred million dollar brand to a three billion dollar brand. Wow! So we are uh, we are the largest brand in VF's portfolio, and and I guess everybody that's listening there, VF might sound familiar to probably people, a couple people out there probably, mm-hmm. but they own uh, brands like North Face, Reef. Uh, Lee, Wrangler, Timberland. Uh, we just acquired the Dickies, uh, um, that portfolio of brands under Dickies as well. Which has become a huge skate yeah. brand. That's, that it was always like a huge skate brand. I, I didn't back, know going that. Going back to the 90s, yeah. I so, didn't know that. I think just, everybody that rode BMX probably rode Dickies back then too. I mean, I, I just thought it was you know a fashion statement. I didn't realize it was yeah. actual involved. But yeah. anyway, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think VF's whole business model is... Um, Basically, they, they kind of are, are known for acquiring mid-sized uh, brands with like a lot of growth potential, mm-hmm. uh, and giving them like kind of the back-end business and manufacturing structure to kind of maximize what they have in the marketplace or what their what their ability is. Um, so it's it's kind of nice because they don't. There's not a whole lot of like um, day to day, like right. you know, like they're not very intrusive in our brand on what it does at all. Like we, you know, you, uh, we don't hear from them much on the day to day. Right. Um, there's a lot, obviously a lot of like you know, like the executive teams probably sure. on the day day to day is dealing with those guys on the phone from a financial aspect. Right. Um, but like they don't really interfere with our brand very much, and I think most people still assume that. Um, the Van Dorn family probably still owns Vans and runs it. On that's the what I thought. Yeah, that's what most people think, which is good. I, I, yeah. That's great that we're, we become a big enough company right. of where we're at now, but right. most people still uh, associate us with a, like a family-owned brand and well, how we kind of interact with people, I think, too. And Steve is present. You know, Steve he's, he's is very much still present, the so. face of the brand. He's out there, you yeah. know, at the music venues, at the skate contests, yeah. at the BMX contests, flipping burgers, high-fiving yeah. people. Got his floral um, shirt on. Yeah, a- absolutely. Floral pattern shirt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's awesome that, that we can still do that to this day and age. Right. Like, you know, being a giant corporate. Yeah. Entity, like that we still can kind of interact with consumers that way right and, yeah. and still identify with with a wide spectrum of ages I think for sure yeah exactly it's amazing um, and that that takes us up through probably today like mm-hmm. you know, where we're at so we we're moved into a new corporate headquarters uh, in Costa Mesa California off the beautiful 405 freeway it's yeah. always jam-packed full of cars <laughs> 
Uh, my office actually overlooks the, the, the 405 freeway, <laughs> right. so I can see it just stack up every morning and every evening. <laughs> like, nice. Wow. Uh, but it's an awesome building. Uh, yeah. They basically had built us like a whole uh, outdoor campus, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, and we actually have a separate little warehouse space um, just for promotional stuff and stuff mm -hmm. that gets sent to events, athletes, stuff like that. Oh, but okay. within that, we also have a little uh, uh, skate plaza that's built in there, too, for, for riding, skating, that kind of thing. That's the Vans Park? Is that, that where is, the... No. So okay. this, is, this is our own little private park. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice that at lunchtime you can go out there and ride or skate or, or do something really? like that. Yeah. Oh, and wow. the, uh, the guys at... Um, ride were just there uh, yeah. filming with a couple of the guys that were in town for the, the street invitational. Oh, right, right. They did a little video project with those guys that's, they'll probably be out by the time you, you even post this. Yeah. And if right. not, then it's coming. So right, right. Get, get stoked. Right, right. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, it, yeah, it's great. Uh, but the Vans Park is... is is that a park that's owned by Vans or sponsored by Vans? So we, so the city gave us the land. Uh, mm -hmm. We paid to have the skate park built, right? Uh, and it's basically uh, uh, like operated. We we own like kind of operated mm -hmm. with uh, with employees that work there, right? Um, but more or less, the city kind of. Uh, I believe the city insures it. Uh, sure, um, that would they, make sense because it's their land. Yeah, it's public um, property. Yeah, 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 and and it's it's a nice relationship. We have a really good relationship, obviously, with the city of Huntington Beach, with the U.S. Open, and things like that oh, that yeah. we do there. Um, but they didn't want a permanent structure. This all came out of the U.S. Open, by the way. So oh. we started building the bowl on the on the beach. Right. We wanted it to be permanent and stay down there. They didn't want it on the beach, but they said, "Hey, we'll we'll give you through some other lobbying." Obviously, we we were able to get that chunk of land from those guys and build a permanent skate park for sure. the city of Huntington Beach. I gotcha. Yeah, it's right. That it's it's it actually works out really well because it's about halfway between my house and my office, the office. Right. So like I can I, I try to pop in there at least once or twice a week before or after work to ride. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. And that, uh, I think that's all I got on Vans history, or VF, at that's, least. That's, that's enough. Yeah. That's enough. Are there any other family members still involved, or is it just Steve? No, no, no. His, his daughter, Christy, uh, works uh -huh. in our business as well. She works on the marketing team. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, his, his sister, Cheryl, uh, also works in our HR department. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's still, I mean, there's still a family entity there, for right. sure, on the day-to-day, -day, uh, which is awesome. It's so cool that it was a it was purchased by VF, but it's still. Like I was alluding to before when you first mentioned trading, public trading, uh, being publicly traded, that it still stands alone and still operates. It wasn't consolidated into, say, a North Face slash Vans. No, 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 no. Office, you know no, what no. I, mean? I think Which changes I, I, the dynamics of things yeah, in a lot of businesses. VF is pretty good in that they're pretty hands off with. Mm -hmm. um, brand's identity right like they they know what they do and they right. do it well so they they just let us do our thing like they're just like you guys know who you are right you're good at it right we'll help you on the back end from like a business structure finance and, and just manufacturing standpoint but keep doing what right. you're doing on the day-to-day -day. i got you yeah so it's it's really nice in that aspect got it Want me to get into um, Instagram questions? Yes, let's right. let's do that. Can I start by saying uh, when I was I, I told uh, 
I was telling Robbie that I'm coming back here for this event, Morales. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, yeah. and I guess him and Groundchuck have some sort of like back and forth <laughs> on texting on like who had more listeners or like giving each other uh, some shit there. Yes. So uh, Robbie told me to give Groundchuck a hard time and that he's like basically surpassed his <laughs> listens on your podcast. Oh, by. And now is the number one uh, podcast that you yeah. have. Yeah, yeah. Robbie is definitely the most downloaded podcast. Um, and, and as we have equated it to racing between the three of us in our conversations, Robbie, Groundchuck, and myself, Robbie just said, hey, I've got a better last rate than you. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always going to beat you to the finish line. So I told Groundchuck, I said, you really need to practice your your last straight. I, I like the fact that they're still after not ride, like you know neither is really riding professionally anymore no, no. they're still that competitive and they want to they still are texting each other to give each other shit not in person anymore but at least over the phone or like through text oh absolutely yeah. oh they, well they're they're very good friends and they have no problem giving it to each other yeah. constantly yeah so I, I actually I just wanted to like I had to say that first before oh, we got into so any sort of funny. questions Actually, on the topic of Robbie and Colt, uh, the other collaboration that I almost forgot about, oh, which I did is too. unique, yeah, yeah, grips, tires, and tires. Yes. So that with came the out actual waffle pattern. Oh. Yes. So if if you don't know, um, I guess you do now. Uh, they've been out yeah. for a few years. We right. through some of our like just collaborations on the footwear and apparel side. Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie and Neil. Uh, over there they had the idea of doing um, grips with a waffle pattern right. and like they kind of approached us with the with the idea right. Neil had some drawings already just to show what, what could be done right um, and then we said yeah that's awesome we should we should do this and it's like well how how are we going to sell this because going back to like how we're structured we're not structured on the business side to deal with the bicycle world at all right but Colt obviously does like they have global distribution mm-hmm. uh, they have at once inventory on things like that they sell consumer direct as well right um so it was an easy one in that we all we had to do is set up a like kind of a licensing deal where they uh handled the manufacturing and sales of uh-huh. uh these grips and tires and, right you know and, and we kind of have a partnership on that sure. stuff yeah it's great um because it's it's something we would never be able to do as a brand ourselves right, right. but through those guys right um we have these cool products out there the both yeah. like grips um that are made of odi um, oh, so okay. if anybody, everybody knows ODI, right. like grips, right? Rubber is amazing. They right. were able to match uh, some of the durometers that we that we wanted from a shoe aspect too, okay. uh, and, and on a compound that we all were really happy with. Mm-hmm. And they put out a great product. Um, and uh, the tires uh, come from uh, from overseas, yeah. Uh, but in but they're phenomenal in terms of like the rubber compounds and, right. and durability and things like that. Right. Uh, and there's a new version of them that's actually out right now on the tire side. Oh, okay. They just opened up another new mold, mm-hmm. um, and they basically tightened up the tread pattern so that they're a little bit more durable, and they've like tweaked the rubber compounds just a little bit too on those oh, things. Oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they're amazing. Like, so there are grips and tires out there right now, uh-huh. and you can buy them at Colt. Yeah, that is so yeah. cool. That's that's wild. Yeah. Who is, how ingenious was that to to take that concept of the waffle pattern? Yeah, I mean it's great because a a tire. it's great because it directly applies to our brand, which we're known for, like the rubber bottoms on the shoes, right? Like right. the waffle grip on yeah. there. So it it directly kind of translates right over to grips and tires perfectly. All points of contact. Yeah, are covered. all points of contact <laughs> covered. Yep. 
except for the seat. You just got to come up with a waffle seat. I don't know if you want a, ru- a rubber <laughs> seat, kidding. though. Yeah. No one sits anymore anyway. No, it doesn't In fact, matter. I don't even know why bikes have seats. You, you and I, you know, we've got inches of seat posts showing, but that's that goes along with being long in the tooth. You know, long in the tooth, long in the seat post. I think there's a, <laughs> there's a parallel. That was a weird one I just came up with. I don't know if that works, but... You got it. Um, <laughs> you try to connect it all. I try. And before we jump into these questions, I yeah, will yeah. say that you probably, when you posted uh, a heads up on your Instagram for yeah. questions, it was probably more geared towards either Jerry Batters yes. or Colin McKay, because those are the faces, or even Justin Cosman, probably. Yeah. So those are the three yeah. names that probably are, are, are really involved on the, like, our BMX program on the right. day-to-day, right. or at least people associate their names and faces with it. Uh, well, that's why the this ones was that a are, surprise. Yeah, they're the ones that are in front of the consumer. <laughs> I'm, I'm a hidden entity on the back end of the business that, that no one really ever sees, and you deal right, right, with the right. business side of, of what we sure. do. Yeah. Well, that was the surprise. Unless it was probably industry guys, you may have gotten a question or two from me, but like I doubt it. It was probably. But you, should, if you, uh, if you can get out to the West Coast, we, yeah, yeah that would be an amazing one to have you sit down with maybe like Jerry or, or oh, you man. Know, Colin or those guys, like on just the whole program or, or what they do. Could I get a word in? Would you no, hear? probably. Yeah, yeah, you probably can. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll work on that one. I'm going to have to do a lot of show prep for that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, you know what I wanted to ask you is, you know, we'll throw in a couple of listener questions first. Yeah, that'd be amazing. All right, Evan Smedley wants to know when he, this was back when it was a secret, who was going to be the, the representative from Vans. If, Jerry Bat- if, if this is Jerry Batters that you're interviewing, when is the last time he got on the track? Uh, the last time Jerry, from what my knowledge is, got on the track was probably... I don't know the year. It was probably a good five or six years ago at this point. It's not that long ago. No, it's not that long ago. No. He, they were doing a uh, couple quick stops through Arizona to film some other stuff. Yeah. And the whole uh, team stopped it. I think like the it might have been the Phoenix National. Okay. And Jerry, I think, raced the cruiser class there. Oh, he actually yeah. entered. And I'm pretty sure he tried to take somebody out. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. And by the way, Jerry was really good. Yeah, he, he was he, he was extremely good, and he knew it. <laughs> yeah, I have a funny story about racing that I didn't know anything about that Robbie told me a couple weeks back. Actually. Oh, you have to you have to tell. Yeah, me. so I guess there was a national in Las Vegas, yeah. ABA national, probably one of those like horse stable track things yeah, yeah. that they were always like known for using, right? Oh, sure. And I don't know the exact year, yeah. and I don't think Robbie could remember the exact year either, but he basically said that like he had cut, Jerry had cut somebody off on the track, and then basically intentionally tried to wreck them. The entire crowd basically was booing Jerry until he left the, like, the, the place. And he was like flipping them off as he left. He's always been a rebel, huh? Yeah, he was living up to his bad boy name at that point. Oh my gosh! Yeah, wow. I wish I, I was. I was. I wasn't there. I didn't. I don't think I ever. I've raced a few ABA races. But yeah. Never, never like that. And, right. And I just thought that was a hilarious story. Oh, he made his presence known in the NBL. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, but he was good. Can't take anything away from him on that. He was very, very good. He has. He has some titles to his name for sure. Ninety-five world champ. Yeah. 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 That's his claim to fame. It. it it's a legit one. I told him he should start putting it on his business cards. He still hasn't done that, but I would. If I was ever world champ, I'd put it on my business what, card. What's what's uh, twenty eight years between friends or whatever that is? It just makes it's or twenty three yeah, years. It's kind of an interesting years. just talking point too, because right, right. you know when you harden your head your card and it says that to someone, they're going to be like, "Wait, what is that about?" 
Hey, if I were Jason Richardson, he was the 94 world champ. I'd have it on my business card. I'd have it on there too. You know, yeah. <laughs> if I was a world champ in any, yeah. in, in any year, I'd, I'd have it on my business card. Um, yeah. All right, let's go to Brendan Vale from Malali. Okay. Park. He, does, uh, he does a lot of the, um, the work for Malali on, oh, the, cool. on the city end. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, when are you doing a bowl event in New York City? I don't. I don't know. Uh, I, don't I know, know this the is answer your to area, that. But the problem is, <clears throat> I think we'd probably love to do one there. Um, I think right now, because it's a global bowl series, we try to pick which which the international ones switch locations. Yeah. But the one in the U.S. is tied to the U.S. Open, and so it's kind of stuck in. I wouldn't say stuck in Huntington, but it's in yeah. Huntington as of right now. But I right. think it would be really good if we get the series built up to a place where we could do an east coast west coast one yeah i don't know if that will happen but i think yeah. that would be amazing in, in new york right. city would probably be the obviously the first place that we'd probably pick definitely definitely there's waves i know yeah. there's waves so you could tie yeah. it in you could people surf in new york it's yeah. weird yeah They're, yeah they, they do. do yeah they do uh here's the puffy shoe question uh, Evan Smedley again. He wants to know with the resurgence of puffy shoes from the 2000s in the skate industry, do you see Vans going down that road of resurrecting the shoes from the from the past? Please don't. They were horrible. Yeah. So his opinion <laughs> of it is the same as mine, and probably a lot of people's um, that had to live through that era. Yeah. Uh, I there is actually a slight resurgence of those going on in like the high end of fashion and things like that. There's a the a uh, brand out there called Balenciaga. They made these like giant, fat, puffy shoes. Okay. Uh, I know uh, uh, Yeezy was working on some stuff that's very similar in that in that kind uh, of vein too. Okay. Um, there is a resurgence of that. We have on the design side started to go down the path of looking at some of that stuff just from like a more of a fashion standpoint. But I don't know that right. we ever reissue any of those shoes in that sure. era. Right. But there's probably some new designs down the right. road that we would explore that are probably sit similar yeah. to that. I don't think they'd ever get as big and as fat and puffy and ridiculous <laughs> as they were. Um, but I think I did notice this with yeah. the resurgence of baggier pants and clothing yeah. right. generally comes footwear too that kind of fits that styling right. too. So shoes right. by default end up being a little bit more padded and, and have a little bit more paneling to them. Right. So I think right. as baggier pants have come into skateboarding and BMX recently right instead of the skinny jeans right yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there probably will be a little bit of a resurgence of a little bit more padding and, yeah. and paneling to shoes down the road yeah but not full puff I don't think we'll ever go back to air bug bags <laughs> and, and full puff like it was literally like a football on your foot oh my gosh yeah that's amazing alright here's some other fun questions I always get fun questions from my from my followers of the, the podcast uh, Eric Seifert wants to know how many pairs of vans does the average employee own oh i haven't uh i can speak for myself probably and it's not that many believe it or not (laughs) no i think in my closet right now there's probably maybe 12 pairs of shoes 12 pairs total 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 obviously they're not all vans like well actually all of those are vans i'm talking vans yeah okay i I mean i have some other stuff that's in there too right Um, right you know like boots and things like that yeah vans i don't think i keep more than 10 to 12 pairs in my house at any one point in time that's a lot. That's not that many in the grand scheme of things. No, I suppose. Well, I'm pretty much, I'm a minimalist though. I don't, yeah, yeah. like, I'll wear shoes for a little bit or I'd like, uh, you know, right. I'll give them to friends or whatever. Like if, or, yeah. you know, I don't. Well, I was just listening to a, a Nine Club episode and they were talking to a skater and this guy, I, I forget who the skater was, but um, he said either he's got to have 
new grip tape and old shoes or old shoes and new grip tape. Did yeah. I say that right? That might be right. Uh, so he, I would imagine he probably keeps different shoes depending on where. Yeah, know. and to be honest, like with skateboarding, that really tears your shoes up. Like you can go through, you can run through a pair of shoes in, in probably a couple days. Yeah, easy. yeah. I've noticed my son. I think it's the whole kickflip thing, right? Yeah, where it'll it just, just like tears up the side. When you're standing on sandpaper. Yeah, yeah. When you're turning, it just yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah I mean, you're basically just taking your shoes to a belt sander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Alex uh, Levy says you should hold a bowl competition in Perth. Who makes these planning decisions? I think we talked about that. Yeah, a little bit. So uh, right now, it was the last year. It was, last year it was in Sydney, mm-hmm. um, and it's basically staying right around that same area, right? Right. Um, so we're going to do the the contest at the at the Five Dock Skate Park this year, which is in a few oh, weeks. Right. Yeah, which is an epic park. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went there. I, I've seen the place. I've never ridden it. I've seen it though. Right. And it's it's gnarly. Like it's like I don't know, like seven eight foot walls on that thing, and like the spine that's in there is like seven to eight feet tall. Like, a couple it's, people I've interviewed uh, yeah. have talked about five docking. I mean, if you know like, how, what you're doing there, it looks amazing. If you don't know what you're doing and don't know the lines, then you are gonna have a tough time. Yeah. yeah. I think you're gonna struggle. Yeah. They say it's a locals. It's locals place. It's so gnarly. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Huh. Yeah, so that'll be a good contest mm-hmm. to watch for sure. We do like the, the live webcast too. Right. So, I mean, you'll be able to check it all out and mm-hmm. watch it live as it's going down, which it's right. in Australia, so it probably puts us at a really weird time. Probably puts us super early in the morning or something here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's always a way if you want to. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's see. All right, this goes... There'll, there'll be a replay too. You can watch the replay of the webcast later that day, I believe. Yeah, right, so you good. can wake up at normal hours. Like, you don't have to get up at 4 in the morning and watch right. it, which yeah. I've done before on a couple yeah. of those. <laughs> and it's important. You don't want to miss it. Right, this one is from a woman that rides, Arendal Fitness. Cool. She wants to know, can you get more Lady Pros and Lady Pro shoes? Maybe you know a little bit about that. So, Obviously, yeah. there's a different f- f- uh, fit for a woman's shoe, I would imagine. Yeah, women's feet a little bit more narrow. Right. Um, and we, we do have women-specific footwear as well. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so as far as pros and and, and, um, and women that ride, we actually, you know, like we touched on earlier, we have that bowl series. Right. There are some uh, women that I know Jerry's got, like a on-the-flow program, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know... Um, I think Nina, Nina Petrago. Yeah, and I don't think we're not in a place to really do like any signature footwear at this point in time, just from like a sales volume standpoint and things like that. Right. Um, But I think I, 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 yeah, it's. I mean, it's rad that we have like like girls that are do get flow and they wear our shoes and obviously out there riding in bowl contests or riding skate parks and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of girls out there that really shred on bikes <laughs> I, I <laughs> like really, if you watch them oh no yeah. doubt no doubt there definitely are um, I have a naive question are there there's women's sizes in vans right oh yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so it's not a question of whether the shoes are available for for women the size of a woman's foot or the yeah, and the we, characteristics all of, of our sport. skate and BMX shoes are mm-hmm. available down to a size uh, three and a half. So unisex okay. three and a half, sure. which would be, you know, I mean, like that's that's a really small shoe. Like yeah. that would fit any 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 woman. Um, so right. we would be covering them on, on that aspect. So three and a half would be a women's five. So that's a tiny, that's a really tiny, tiny. 
tiny shoe. Oh, so proportionally, you would probably get narrower anyhow. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On that stuff. And most of our, our skate and, and BMX, the specific product that we build, is uh -huh. on a little bit slimmer, kind of tighter last anyway. Sure. It's built around performance. Yeah. Um, so those, by default, probably fit women's feet a little bit better, actually. Right. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I like a foot uh, shoe that's a, a little... Yeah, I like really snug snugger. shoes for, yeah. for riding. So, like, those those uh, those shoes are built specifically kind of like that. So I think that by default, they they probably, like, our any of our pro skate shoes, mm -hmm. whether it's Signature, Pro Classics, things like that, would probably end up fitting women's feet a little bit better, actually. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um... Uh, here's a, we'll, we'll do another one shoe related. This is from Matt Smith. He does a couple things. This, this, him and another guy. I want to say Percy. Uh, uh, I'm gonna mess up his name, so I apologize, Percy. But anyway, um, he does Ride PA BMX Mag. Mm -hmm. If you've seen that, it's a printed version that just started last year. I have not. No. It's really cool. Huh. If I can find a copy, I'll send you one. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, I'd love to check it out. He may be here this weekend, also. I think he also does the Yazine. So anyway, he, he said more mids, uh, cup sole, more heel protection, bottoms are perfect. So I guess he's making suggestions. Yeah. So maybe you can bring it back to your uh, focus group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we actually have some stuff in the works. So on, on the yeah. skate side, we have uh, a construction. Most of our shoes are all vulcanized, right? That's what we're known for, vulcanized rubber. Um, uh, it's really soft. Uh, really good grip works really well for skateboarding and BMX. Is um, vulcanized rubber is that affect the density? Is that what that's no, all about? No, no. So like uh, how vulcanizing works is basically uh, there, there's raw rubber components. Right. They get glued together. Oh, okay. Then the shoe itself gets put into a vulcanizing oven okay. that gets baked at a certain temperature and mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time and then cools off. That's all like kind of trade secret stuff on, right. on what goes on there. Sure. Um, but. Uh, that basically cures the rubber, softens everything up, and bonds everything together. Kind of okay. melts the glue, melts the rubber together, bonds everything together on the shoes, and, and we're known for that process. I gotcha. Um, on the answering his question, though, um, we do make some cup sole product, and we uh, made a new outsole construction that's called our Waffle Cup. Okay. Um, that's specifically built like on our pro, on a couple of the pro skate shoes that we mm -hmm. have actually, and a couple of the BMX team guys have been riding those as well because they they wanted a little bit more rigid, a little stiffer shoe. Uh -huh. um, and then we have some stuff in the works that we're working on a BMX specific version of that. Oh. So okay. Hopefully that'll be out in the next uh, year or so, like oh, within okay. the next year. But yeah, we'll have uh, we're working with the team guys directly on their feedback on on some of the stuff to create a little okay. bit more rigid, a little stiffer kind of outsole for a shoe. Okay. Yeah. Got We're it. constantly tweaking that stuff too. Like He's, always always working to make our products a little bit better and listen to riders and, and, and everybody like that. All the things John Paul Rogers didn't do when he tried to start a shoe company called Cast. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, what's funny is uh, Trey, I just saw on his Instagram, had it with all the shoes. All those, all those old ratty Cast shoes under his ramps at yes, his house. Yes. And he said, look, the new, like, I forget what, the, like, what he exactly said on there, but it was basically the Cast inventory or right, something right. like that. Yes. That yeah. was hilarious. Uh, yeah. That was a good post. I did see that too. Yeah. Oh gosh, love. I don't have no idea Paul. why all those shoes are at his house because those shoes were like, like I, Trey would have been. They never really made really it to young. market, right? People yeah, were so just did, trying them out. Yeah, did, I want to hear from Trey when he gets here later today. Yeah. Like, did John Paul come over and just dump those at his house or what? <laughs> they are from the same area, exactly. Yeah, the same I know. Area, so it's yeah, possible. Yeah. yeah, it was just a, you know, he didn't have enough room left in his in his in his trash can. Yeah, for 
for pickup. Yeah, how they ended up there. Oh, gosh. I've just got a couple more. I don't know about you, but I have to go to the bathroom in a second. Um, too much water. I'm, I'm good at traveling and, uh, like, holding it in for hours I, at a time. I usually am, but I, I don't know. Today I'm having a hard time. Well, I just have a couple more. You know what? I'm going to throw this one in here because I hesitated on this one, but... Um, Shoot it at me. Because... All right, well, I'll tell you why I hesitated. Because I don't like to get into big debates on... Uh, on domestically versus imported products. Got it. Okay. Um, because it could go on forever. Yeah. You know, there are poorly made uh, imported products. Yep. There's no question throughout any industry. Yep. Uh, so anyway, th- this person's question, the, the Instagram user is ThunderKit65. Yep. And sh- I, I'm honestly, I'm not sure, uh, male or female, but... Um, anyway, uh, she or he wants to know. I'm curious if there's been any talk of a USA, uh, US made pair of vans. I trolled Jeff Rowley. I'm not sure who that is regularly. Skateboarder. That oh, we talked okay. about owning the knife company. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. got it. On, this, on the subject in hopes that he will pitch the idea. And then uh, there were a couple of responses after that, which were interesting. I'm oh, just cool. going to read them. Um, Let's see. And she also says, or he says from me, uh, oh no, this is for me. I'm sorry. Is it a hot topic in the corporate office? And then Jack Baruth, another follower, said he bought a pair of U.S. run style 113s. Yes. Arcads in in 2016. And he said, I would buy those. So it sounds like maybe there's an answer out there for this person. Yeah, so the last guy that you mentioned on there, he, um, we actually did do a run of U.S. made uh, shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're made here. Um, uh, majority of them was made here in the U.S., assembled in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so it says made in the U.S. right on those shoes. Uh, it was part, he is 100% correct. So it was made through a program we have called ARCAD. Okay. which is basically a really small, high-end, kind of boutique-distributed um, right. category um, in skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it goes through a handful of accounts in the U.S. Um, it is globally distributed. There's, I, I forget what the actual account number is that they get sold at, but it's very much a limited program. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, we, and we did a limited release on those. And we did a black version and a white version when he bought those. And I thought it was 2007 not 2016 but I sure. could be wrong I'd have yeah. to look that up yeah. um, but there are plans to kind of um, keep that going more on a limited basis mostly because of the cost that, that's associated with it Right. I could probably dig really far go down the rabbit hole on, on manufacturing in Asia versus yeah. US things like that the kind of the hurdles and obstacles that there are right. um, we would love to do production here mm-hmm. just not physically infeasible like at this point in time there isn't enough uh, probably skilled labor, labor here to do the volume on, on, on shoe manufacturing on, on shoes and, and the cost involved would be astronomical here right. too I mean you can right. as volume goes up cost goes down things like that you know I, I think everybody knows that right. um, it would still end up costing quite a bit more at this point sure and, and with where we're at, duty rates coming into the U.S. and the skilled labor force for making footwear in, is predominantly in Asia at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just easy where it's at right now. And, sure. and to be fair, Vans was one of the last, probably big out of the bigger brands for sure, mm-hmm. we were one of the last footwear uh, companies to move our production to Asia, actually. Right. And that wasn't until the early 90s. Um, I could be wrong on date, but I believe it was like 93. Not long into the publicly traded era. Yeah, 
Okay. So I, I could be wrong on that date, mm-hmm. but I, that, I believe that's the correct date. Yeah. So we, we held out as long as we could, and we right. made a, uh, almost all of our footwear in Anaheim, California, of the factory there. Right. Yeah, for you a really know, long time. My feeling on it and... and it's, uh, it's all good product. I mean, at the end right. of the day, there's skilled, there's skilled laborers and manufacturers in Asia. There's skilled laborers and manufacturers here in the U.S., right? Right. And there's also crappy ones in both places. So it's just right. a matter of who, who you're getting yours made from and how much you're paying to get those made. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. I mean, and the shoes that uh, I forget, whoever chimed in on, on your Instagram, they're the last guy yeah, that had Jack the answers Drew. to it. Yeah. Right. So he, those were not cheap shoes by any means. I believe no. they were $280 at retail. Yeah. I could be wrong there. but This the, guy's a contributor for Road and Track. I yeah. Believe. He's you really, you got to be a fan to really, really track really that sharp stuff guy. Down. Yeah. Yeah. He's. He's sharp. He knows his. He knows yeah. his stuff, and he yeah. also he's a pretty stylish guy. Yeah. Shout out to you, Jack. You're very stylish. Yeah, nice. Um, but I, he 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 loves BMX. He used to actually. Uh, I could be wrong in this, Jack, but I believe he worked for the NBO or contributed at one point for, to their newspaper. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah. As what a, was the he newspaper made, called? I think uh, was, Bicycles Today. Bicycles Today. So he right. actually, I believe he was the editor. I oh, could cool. be wrong, but that may have been the stepping stone to what he does now. But he's he's a real sharp guy, and he yeah. still rides today, and his son rides. Nice. So when I saw his comment, I thought, oh, that's absolutely yeah, that's a legit McLeod. comment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he, did, he knows his stuff. Yeah, so, he nailed um, it. He's, uh, he had the info. Yeah, he knew they were from our yeah. like, arcade collection. He, he, uh, yeah, he even knew the style number, on yeah. them, actually. Yeah, I was exactly. lucky enough to get a pair, like the, bla- uh, the black leather ones. Oh, okay. Uh, I have a pair in my closet. I actually used the really nice shoes, actually. They, they, the craftsmanship of it is yeah. almost like a nice Italian-made sneaker. Yeah. Like, it is, they're phenomenal, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it, let me ask you a quick question. Um, even on the on the imported end, do you ever have situations where you have a product made and it comes through and it just does not last like you think it should so, have, or, yeah, or like so you had it? Inevitably, that that happens, right? We have a whole quality control QC team right. that works for uh, Vans specifically at each of our factories that we produce at. Right. Um, there's there's a layer of that at like the VF Corporation too. Okay. Um, they monitor all that stuff pretty closely with production. Inevitably, there's always one small production run that happens every now and again that comes through, right. slips through, right? And the, and the durability just isn't there. Um, right. From either like maybe the, sti- the upper stitching comes apart right. or the inside starts to shred apart mm-hmm. or, you know, like the outsoles start to delaminate or something sure. like that. That's just the, the pitfalls of, of doing any sort of manufacturing. But I can say that it is it is way below 1% of what we actually manufacture. Right. Um, so it is, it's very small percentage of, of what we do. And, and there's a lot of times where that stuff happens on a greater percentage. Right. Um, we actually grade those things as B grades. Right. And we actually uh, end up giving a lot of that stuff out to charity or it gets given away in oh, some capacity okay. too. Right. So, it's, uh, so we, we're still paying to make it. We can't just scrap it. Right. It's good enough to wear. It's just not good enough to sell at full price, right, to right. a consumer. So, I gotcha. yeah, we do what we can to kind of, like, give mm-hmm. back and, and kind of re- recycle those in some yeah. capacity. I would think it's trickier with, uh, obviously, we, we hear this debate often with um, hard goods. Yeah. You know, so you, you're dealing with 
bicycle, for instance. Yeah. So that's where it gets really contentious. Well, know. that's a safety concern, right? Exactly. And there's and, you and get involved with CPSC and, and all kinds of like other other federal kind of like uh, governed branches that that control a lot of that stuff too. Right. Yeah. And, and without naming without naming names, uh, there have been product failures, and this is out of your realm. I understand, but on the import level, uh, when you have a product failure that's an import. What recourse is there? I mean, that's a company's insurance, right? I mean, yeah, so that that uh, would be done if it's, you know, if it's a design flaw, then it would come back on the actual like company that that's putting that product out, right? If right. it's a manufacturing flaw, then that would come back on whatever facility or manufacturer is doing that at that point, and that would yeah. be covered out of their insurance. Yeah, yeah. And these are all those back end costs that, that we talked about. Yeah, or, there's or a lot of that, and then to. you got to prove it legally. So there's some legal costs involved oh, in some yeah. of that stuff too. Yeah, which, right, yeah. right. Yeah, and that's deep enough on that one I just um, there's a there's a a listener I wanted to address that uh, for and with because it's obviously a concern especially in our sport you know you're dealing with hard goods that are Luckily, our, yeah. Luckily, ours is soft goods in the grand scheme yeah. of things, and it's like when a shoe fails, worse it happens. It generally falls off your foot a little sooner than it should. <laughs> and then you ride like Trey Jones barefoot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's all good. <laughs> Just giving Trey Jones more shit there. Actually, Trey, Trey's a good guy. I love him. He's a, he really is a great yeah, yeah. guy. I can't wait to talk to him later today. Yeah. Um, here is one that was also answered uh, when I put the post up. Um, I think Colin K may have answered it. But, oh, cool. Or maybe you did. Oh, but. by the way, so you just mentioned Colin. So Colin, um, man, he he shoots a ton of videos, a ton of photos for us. Yeah. Travels around. He's at all of our events. Right. Um, he more or less runs our social media. Oh, um, okay. I know Jerry has has obviously a sure. small hand in that, but yeah. if you're if you're chiming in or asking questions on like any of our social media for BMX, right? Instagram, for example, right? Uh, there's probably a 99% chance that it's probably Colin answering you. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, he was funny because he was answering the questions before the interview happened. Yes. So I'm, I'm like, wait and a minute. And he's really Stop. pro. Yeah, he's really proactive. Like <laughs> That's the answer for the interview. Yeah, he's no, amazing, actually. No, he, he's, his, he was his, awesome. His wife, Kelly, actually works for us, too. Okay. She's a sales rep for us on the East Coast. Oh, okay. That, like, just, she, she crushes it, yeah. She's yeah. like apparel and footwear sales rep. She really? Kills, yeah, she kills it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he, oh my gosh, he can ride like a beast too. I, oh yeah, I he can still ride, ride at, at uh, Swamp Fest. And yeah, he was, he was amazing. He ripped through that dirt line like like it was nothing. No probably. Bridge. Oh yeah, still yeah. topside, no footed can cans like nobody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Kills it. But he answered this question that someone put out there, which was actually three people uh, had the same question. All day BMX shop. In, okay. I believe they're in California. Yep. Evan Smedley and Stu Johnson. You know Stu Johnson, yep. yeah, yep, yeah. the filmer um, and writer. When is the when is Gary Young getting a signature shoe? Now there already has been a Gary Young signature shoe, as far as Colin had answered. Yes. I, uh, so I'm not sure if they don't realize it, or if maybe there's that a, may have predated that that person's answer too. Maybe. Okay. So yeah. So he, it wasn't a signature shoe, it was a signature colorway. Ah, got it. So it was on a shoe called the Dunbar, and I can't remember the year. That was probably around 08, 09, like maybe even 2010, somewhere in that window, because there was a couple colorways. It went on for a few seasons. Uh, And I believe on that silhouette, the Dunbar, um, it was split. Like, it was basically built 
not specifically for BMX, but mm-hmm. it was promoted by BMXers. So I, I want to say that it was Gary Young, mm-hmm. um, Alistair Witten. Okay. And there was a third rider on that shoe, and I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. Um, but it was it was more or less they each had colorways on that uh, shoe, and it okay. changed seasonally. You know, like the next season was a different yeah, type yeah, of colorway, yeah. different material execution, right. that kind of thing. But but Gary's um, so they're actually, Gary's, actually yeah, for signature then yeah. So but I will say that Gary has is very involved on like kind of the design and development side mm-hmm. for a lot of our footwear. Um, he comes in quite a bit um, yeah. and helps with all the stuff we do as far as like wear testing, kind of some input. Um, not exactly signature footwear, but he's got his stamp on on, on quite a few things out there right? okay. that gets put out. And people are probably not even aware. People are not even aware, no. Which is great that this question yeah. came up. Yeah. And people love Gary Young, be, obviously. That's why this question came up. Yeah. You know. I think the, the signature thing goes back to a little bit of the business aspect of it too where the not everybody's probably aware of this if you work in the industry you probably you're probably well aware of this but the the channel of sales specifically to bmx is extremely small even smaller for uh soft goods and and footwear right Right. like you're not going to a bike shop specifically to buy shoes most consumers would never do that right uh so uh it's it's to get those products out there, it's got to get sold through other channels, like in the mall or our own retail stores and things like that. And right. Luckily, Vans does own our own retail stores. Oh, we right. Over 300 uh, resale stores in the U.S. alone. Sure. Uh, so we're able to kind of showcase and, and put BMX products in there and, and sell that directly to consumers that probably normally would never even see a BMX signature mm-hmm. product, right? So it's, right. it's pretty nice in that capacity. Uh, and as that direct-to-consumer business gets larger, it becomes easier for us to control that too and, and reach the end consumer. Okay. Otherwise, you're selling through smaller wholesale accounts and you don't have a lot of control as to exactly what they're buying or how sure. it's promoted in stores sometimes, so you don't end up seeing that stuff in a lot of capacities. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Does that so, make sense? Yeah. Perfect sense. Yeah. All right, let's see. There was... You know what? On that subject, let's uh, let's talk about real quickly uh, impact of riders because we had had a brief discussion about this, about how amazing it is for a specific rider, BMXer Scotty Kramer. Yeah. The impact that he's had versus your top surfer, your top skater. Yeah. You know. Which is which is an amazing story. So yeah, obviously you re-released his shoe last year, a limited run of a hundred for him. Um, still a sponsored rider, although oh, yeah. he can't ride obviously as he used to. He can get around a bit, which is amazing. Um, but let's talk about talk about a rider's impact and how how unique his situation is. Yeah. So um, so Scotty's reach. Uh, I think we started looking a little bit differently with social media obviously being a really good big component of how athletes interact with consumers with their audience things like that uh i think it's, we're not alone fans isn't alone in this we, we, all these big brands i think have started to look at um how they measure a rider's worth and i don't want to get too deep into that probably because right. it's still it's hard to validate a lot of that stuff but there is you can kind of directly track 
you know, how many followers somebody has, what their interaction level is, and what, it, what level of that is being translated to sales directly related to that rider, right? Um, Scotty has a tremendous reach, um, and, and through, unfortunately, through his injury, uh, he, uh, un- unfortunate injury, but also probably blessing in disguise, he got a lot of media coverage because of it, and he... he uh, Because of the way he handled it. And a lot of it was, yeah, exactly. He handled it very well, how, how he bounced back and how he communicated um, uh, about his injury and his issues with everyone. But he has a ton of followers on YouTube, like over a million subscribers yeah, now, I 1. believe. Yeah, 1.1, something like yeah. that. Um, he has a tremendous reach to consumers um, right. in, in like the van's portfolio. I did ask Jerry this before I left the office. I oh, good. Because when we when we measured this, started measuring this stuff in, I believe it was early 2016, he, throughout the year, because of his coverage of his injury, was our number one athlete in terms of uh, media reach. Out of everyone. Surfers, skateboarders, All snowboarders. Sports. Yes, every, sport, every action sport. He was our number one athlete in terms of, of, of social media reach, which is insane. <coughs> and, and I don't know if people understand, quite understand this, but when you include surfing in this, yes, a surfer, so many people are into surfing that will never touch the water. Yes. So that's amazing to beat out someone like John John Florence. Yes. Kadowskis uh, brothers, Kadowskis, Dan, yeah. Dan, Dan Reynolds. Yeah. You know, I'm, that is amazing. I mean, it makes me happy, and I don't want to say I'm shocked because that sounds disrespectful to Scotty. I don't mean it that way at all. But it's it's extremely impressive. I think every everyone was fairly shocked when they when they got that data back that it was like really really BMXers yeah. are number one yeah. in terms of athletes reach yeah yeah. So uh, it, he's not anymore. He was surpassed by a few people. Yeah. Um, in 2017. Even yeah. though his reach has gotten more, but I think it's sure. measured on a lot of different levels, not just obviously yeah. YouTube. Um, right. Yeah, it's all aspects of social media and media coverage in general. So magazines, videos, all, all sure. kinds of stuff. So obviously, sure. you that's know, limited we, now. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it, it's a little bit more limited on, on Scotty's reach in other uh, other areas sure. of social media. I got you. Uh, things like that. But but yeah, he has a tremendous followers. Uh, Quick, uh, I did know this fact though is uh, recently, I think Trey Jones has the highest uh, amount of consumer interaction really? through social media. Wow! And I don't know exactly how the ins and outs of all that's yeah. measured because it's done through like a third party. And our and sure. Jerry could speak to it a lot more probably yeah. uh, informed than I do because he's that's the world that he lives in on the sure. marketing side. Right. Um, but I think it has to do with his just interaction on social media with people that follow him, basically. Right. And how they track that. And I and, have, and who gets and how consumers and people that follow them repost his information too. That's right. I know a component of it as well. Right. Yeah. I know a guy named Tyrone Means in New York City. He's actually part of the Mulally crew, and he was actually talking to me about that once um, through Instagram, how important it is to actually, and I don't know if this is the type of interacting you're talking about, that's why I'm saying this, how important it is to throw posts out there, which isn't, to me, it's not, uh, it's not super important, although I do use Instagram as a vehicle to get questions Yeah. Um, for these podcasts, but how important it is to put out questions that actually um, kind of spawn interaction. 
So is that the type of thing you're talking that's, about? That's part of it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think, I believe that's part of it too, is just like pitting up it, the content that is a little bit more interactive and mm -hmm. then how people are reposting it, how they're responding to it, how many, I think how many responses, likes, things like that you get as well as reposts and, and, and in that capacity, yeah. Which is probably why some people throw out questions on a post. Yes to get that kind of yeah. banter going. And I wouldn't be which... surprised if they're if they have multiple accounts that they're reposting <laughs> like asking questions to themselves on things like that. I don't I'm not I'm not saying that uh, like <laughs> Trey's uh, guilty of that, but what no, I'm saying no, is no, there no. probably is in the grand scheme of those like people that get paid like YouTubers and Instagram yeah, people. Yeah. You know what I mean like those type of personalities that yeah. probably is a component of that is, oh, yeah. is my assumption. That's amazing. Yeah. Such a crazy world I don't yeah I think I'm old enough that it's it's I mean I'm on Instagram but I'm certainly not very active on yeah, there yeah, I have yeah. to like push myself to put something on there every few weeks picture of your bike and, and to be honest house, yeah it's mostly stuff of my house it's not uh, yeah me me sitting around riding my bike by myself somewhere at like seven in the morning man yeah that's great but, uh, you know what? I think we can pretty much wrap it up if you're good with it because the yeah. only thing I'd want to talk about is future projects of yours, anything you'd want people to know about that that are coming up. I, I uh, think I alluded, yeah, I alluded to some of that. We have a, a project with Cult that's coming out this, this fall, this in October. Right. Uh, that's probably the next BMX-specific piece we have kind of coming out at this point mm -hmm. um, that, that's probably going to make some noise. Um, other than that, we have... I think I touched on like the waffle cup thing that's specific to BMX. Um, <coughs> built to be a little bit more rigid, you know, for the guys that like the guy that chimed in on, I, I forgot his name already, but um, the Style, guy. Styles Jack. Yeah, the, Jack the guy that, yeah, the guy that chimed in on the uh, on the uh, cupsole question oh, there. Oh, that was Evan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Evan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, we have some stuff in the works for sure, and we're constantly. Uh, have projects going on out th out there. I will say that the bowl con uh, bowl series will be back again next year in 2019 for sure. Oh, okay. Uh, the global series that we're doing, as well as regional qualifiers, that'll be back. Right. Um, right. The, as far as I know, the street invitation will be back again next year. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, like from a product planning standpoint, we work around 18 months out. So I have visibility on stuff that's about 18 months from now. Um, from a marketing standpoint, months. they're a little closer, but they're still about a year out in terms of what they're planning from an events and things like that too. Right. Um, but yeah, we constantly have, have, we'll have some stuff coming out for sure. I can't give away too much. No, no, that's yeah. fine. 18 months though. Oh, by the way, that was Matt that's Smith, not Evan, that had the uh, cupsole and all that. He's, he, he was on it. So 18 months, Matt, you'll, you'll hear <laughs> or see possibly some change maybe. That's been in the works. So it'll be sooner than that. Sooner than that. Yeah, there you go. That. So it's, yeah. so it's coming up. But yeah. So well, if I can track him down on Instagram, I'll let him know when, like, when gonna, I can. When I, I can. Let I'm going to introduce him. you to I'll him. I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to introduce you to him because I think he is supposed to be here. Yeah. But, um, that's that's all I had. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about, I'm not uh, going to ask you the question about how many shoes it takes to get to Pluto. Unless no, you really I can wanna... probably do the math on that though because uh, <laughs> Pluto runs on an elliptical course around the sun, where we were we run on a mostly circular course, right? So it's probably changing. So are we talking Pluto like closest to the sun or furthest point from the sun at that point, okay. or is it from us? Because that's ever changing too, because we're on different paths. Yeah, right, right. And we're in Pittsburgh. Maybe we're 
closer uh, right now. We're, we're further from the equator, which would be the, well, okay, so tilt to the Earth. We're at 23 degrees of an axis, right? The Earth sits at, so. Evan, you never okay. should have asked. No, no, no. I could figure this out, but it would take me a while. Well, we have all weekend, so yeah. we'll, we'll get it done. Yeah. Scene. Thank yes. you very much. No problem, and, Joe. By the way, before amazing we, uh, being on here. By the way, oh, thank you. I've been getting a really, uh, like, been really entertained listening to the podcast. I started listening Good. to him back in December, actually. And I, uh, did I, you? Yeah, and I, I had to when I knew I was coming to talk to you. I had to catch up this past week on some ones I've, yeah. I've been wanting to listen to. Right, right. Uh, I actually listened to uh, Nuno specifically uh-huh. because we're pretty similar in age. Moved yeah. to California around similar times. We right. kind of have like. You know, background's kind of similar. Sure. And Marketing and he works too, in the right? he works in the industry. So I was like, I want to hear what he was talking about, like, like yeah, business right. wise, before I go on there. Right. Yeah. Right. No, it's good. Yeah, that's good. And and I like the mix. Um, you know, I I never claim to have everything completely planned, but it works out that uh, I've been lucky enough to have industry versus athlete. Yeah. Uh, versus business owner you know, like like a, a Malali yeah uh, actually it's not business it's public but I've had public parks on three times I've had public facilities on so it's been a really cool cross section yeah yeah which um, I intend on continuing on with so yeah. it's it's been it's been great but yeah and one last thing I, I really appreciate being support of the annual fundraiser and uh, you guys doing it with me for us last year with Scotty's fundraiser was amazing because i'll tell you we had almost 900 people and almost everyone that well i would venture to say everyone that came ended up with at least some piece of van's memorabilia which was so cool so yeah i appreciate i'm that glad we can do something like that for you guys I, I, we're in a we're in a position um as a brand that we're doing very well right and mm-hmm. we're trying uh we try to take every opportunity we can to give back to the sports athletes um, you know, parts of culture that kind of support our brand and have built us up into the way that we are. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we continue to kind of support those types of events, grassroots events um, like this, uh, like the, the event at the Wheel Mill today yeah. or tomorrow. Yeah, Next Generation, um, right? Yeah, the Next Generation get, uh, jam of getting kids into the sport, right. getting them, you know, involved, getting them pumped on riding bikes, getting getting those kids, like, outside right. doing something, you know. I think those are the things that, that you know, Yes, sure. they help us as a brand, but I think we can give back to those things as well. Which is great. And I think yeah. people recognize that. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's amazing. And shout out to, and I'm going to make fun of his name, because I know he's going to do it to you when he sees you today. He's going to call you Sean instead of seeing. Round so two. shout out to uh, Grunchuk. <laughs> shout out to Grunchuk for connecting me with with yeah. with Sean Seen. Method, but anyway, he he is actually the one that connected me with you originally uh, when we were planning the fundraiser for Scotty. Oh, cool! So that's how we actually met. Yeah, and what's funny is I I he called me, texted me first, got in touch that way. I didn't have his number. It was a strange text to begin yeah. with because I didn't have his phone number anymore. Sure. Um, and we got on the phone, and that was probably the first time we had talked in twenty close plus to years. Twenty years. Yeah. I had. Yeah. Yeah. 
That was pretty crazy. It was good just connecting with him. But yeah, he would. Uh, he wasn't the one that gave me the most shit out of my name. Actually, it was. It was actually a guy named Jason Stig who, oh. who more or less ran like well, the that's pretty push, much his brother. Push anyway. trails, right? Yeah. yeah, that's his brother. Practically, um, he he was the one that like put out all the like like apparel and, and clothing that they did back in the nineties. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, he yeah. he refused to call me Scene because he just couldn't believe that that oh. my parents would actually name me Scene instead of Sean, even right. though it's spelled right. the same way, right? Yeah, so yeah. he he would always give me uh, a hard time when I got to the trails. He'd be like, what's up, Sean? Like, <laughs> and still to this day, I think he would probably, st- I haven't seen him actually in about two or three years, but yeah. uh, I think he did it to me the last time just to give me a hard time about it. Wow. Well, I think even Robbie brought it up in his podcast because like I came up just the about like the Vans relationship or something oh, okay. like that. Yeah. And uh, he had a, he was he I think he touched really quickly on that about how how everybody in Pittsburgh just is kind of a salty asshole about a lot of things. Right, right. Not making fun of Pittsburgh, it's just oh no, they pride themselves. Yeah, on they it. pride themselves on it. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of hard-headed people here. Right, and right. I think that was that went hand in hand with it. Was even Robbie would get shit like when he would come into town on stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> well, even if it was uh, Stig, I'm sure Ground Chook. <laughs> Ground Chook is going to want to take uh, credit for this because he he prides himself on being the number one ball buster. So, uh, and if you listen to his podcast, which I'm sure he did, yeah, he uh, it was phenomenal. He does not hold back. No, he, it was good. His was so good and made it so popular because he he uh, he's not afraid to call people out. <laughs> So. There's not a lot of uh, he doesn't have a lot to lose in no. the BMX industry anymore. Exactly. It's not like he's really connected to it or uh, or making a living off of it anymore. So wh- why he can he can kind of let it loose a little bit more. I think that's why. Yeah, yeah. that's why it was a great interview. But yeah. Any, anyway, uh, but yeah. Thank you for having me on. It was awesome. And uh, if if you ever want to do any more of this on the West Coast or, or get some more um, folks from Vans involved, um, I'll I'll help orchestrate that for sure. And, and yeah. uh, my apologies to anybody listening to this who thought that. They were gonna be uh, listening to Jerry Batters or Colin McKay, who actually had a, a much bigger impact on, on like the BMX world than I I certainly had. Oh, stop! Yeah, Are you kidding me? No, this is perfect, and I'm not sure they could have said any yeah. better. Can so. I can I give a shout out to some? Please some, do. Some, yeah, yeah. So I I'd like to like probably thank um, uh, Robbie and Neil over at Colt, uh, Ronnie B over at Shadow, um, Jim. Uh, and uh, Nuno over at Odyssey at the at Full Factory. Those yeah. are all guys that we've worked with in the past, like on projects. They've all been phenomenal partnerships that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, Colby at ODI, who's the guy that makes the oh, um, okay. the the cold grips yeah. for us. Um, right. Yeah, I, I I I'm on the phone with him like all the time on, on yeah. kind of some back end stuff and manufacturing. Sure. Um, Steve Crandall Crandall over at FBM. Oh yeah. Yeah, Crandall rules. Uh, he's been doing all of our announcing. Uh, at our contest, Daryl too, Daryl now, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd like to thank those guys for just coming out to our events and getting everybody psyched and, and kind of helping us uh, reach a broader audience and things like that. Right. Um, those are the guys that, that have really helped us out, like from uh, from a business standpoint and marketing mm-hmm. standpoint over the last couple of years for sure. Right. Yeah, it, within BMX at least. Sure. Yeah. And I could vouch for every single one of those guys you just mentioned. Have I mean, helped, it helped, helped even in my small little world. Yeah. Have helped and, me and, in, in their own ways. Yeah, and even uh, in our office too. There's there's a ton of people behind the scenes that obviously they're not here talking right now, but like that sure. all help and support um, BMX. I could go on for forever and name like find a hundred different people there. But I mean, right. there's a ton of people in marketing, PR, events, finance. Mm-hmm. 
design uh, that all helps support um, kind of what we do within BMX. Right. Yeah. Well, they're doing a great job, as are you. Thank you. So you were a great representative, although you don't believe that that you were as, as good as Jerry or Colin would have been. I, I disagree. I, I think you were yeah. you were probably better, but uh, we'll find out someday when I talk to Colin and Jerry. Okay. Yeah, and then we'll do that. You know, we'll do the the Robo versus ground check comparison on listens. You yeah. can do it between you and Jerry, which you know Jerry's going to want to win. So yeah, when <laughs> when when we post this, maybe you can just like label that there's a lot of other bigger names involved on it, and then so I can get more listens. I'll find a way to craft it. Yeah, if you can yeah. put like maybe uh, put Scotty and Trey's name on there since they exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll work on it. That's yeah. the, that's the marketing angle in, in you coming out. I'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throw Robbie Groundchuck's name on there too, making it sound like they all have an appearance on here. When right. in reality, they, they unfortunately couldn't. <laughs> I can make it happen. I yeah. can manipulate things. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like Groundchuck. I have nothing to lose, so it doesn't. Right. Know, if anyone finds out, then no. Oh, well, yeah. I, I don't have a whole lot to lose there either. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> Only to win. Yeah. Awesome, Joe. Well, I appreciate it. See, yeah. thank you very Thank much. you very much. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Awesome. Let's ride. You want to yeah. ride? Let's go ride. All right. We'll ride.